0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week, Coach Josh Storms joins us from FSU to talk college football. The crew covers everything from sniffing out the natural competitors, teaching athletes to write their own story, and how to hire coaches you need, not just your friends. Storms talks about how some of the best networking opportunities happen to be events like sorenak Summerstrong, rather than those big formal conferences. He says that it's environments like SummerStrong that allow you to really see the person, rather than just the team logo on their polo. Well said, Josh. Here it is, episode 416.
1: Power Athlete Nation, what's happening? What's happening? <laughs> what's happening? Tex, how's it going? Uh, I'm well, thanks. I um, sat at home and read and cooked tongue all weekend.
2: Mm, friend of the podcast, jean will Bournet. What say you? Ing. 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 Got him. <laughs> Got him. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. For those who are potentially viewing this on YouTube, we are ever rearranged the seating chart, and I'm nervous. Um, that's right. This is another short, brief episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. Zero. Ha <laughs> ha. Gally, sound sample that sound, and we're going to put it in and repeat it and echo it. You know what to do. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is time. To bring forth the Rhythm and the Rhyme, we have an epic guest today dialing in. But before we do, we've got a surprise for you. Um, are there any coaches out there that just need a little bit of air in their tires? You know, they need a little oh, it's their a,
1: air in their tires. It's a lot more than just air in the tires. I what mean, is you're, it? You're talking about, uh, you know, repainting, building an entire new mm-hmm. car, giving them a whole new set of wheels on which to travel. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Did you know
2: that? At Power Athlete Academy, we have professional development coaches' education courses that are unmatched. Unmatched, dare I say. Best in class. In the industry. You know, when we were just a couple of kids, John, you, me, and Tex, and it was 2016, we're like, let's go to online learning. And everybody was like, no, that's not You guys are catch, idiots. John, Nobody's going to do That's not going to catch on. Yep. Guess what? Guess what Yale is doing? Guess what Cornell is doing? They're teaching all their dipshit kids via the internet
1: well they 're turning we 've be, been doing it for years well they followed our model that 's right I mean you know you have the Harvard model you have the power athlete model, and a lot of these Ivy League schools are now converting to the power athlete model
2: that is that is factual and actual would you agree Jean well Bournet? do you concur? I concur there you go you heard it there first folks um, and we thought it'd be interesting to oh. read a little bit of testimonial that we got that's right, ladies and gentlemen, and you're wondering what what could Power Athlete Academy provide me as a young coach or just a fitness enthusiast, a mentor, someone who's looking to to drive change in a young athlete's life. Or let's say you're a young developing coach who needs to go kick it with some experienced coaches. Here's a story you might be able to tell.
1: Hello, Power Athlete team. Hello. I was class 001 of the methodology. And I have seen a ton of benefit from it. Last weekend I spent two days of a coaching weekend surrounded by 19 full-time world-class SNC coaches from elite team and Olympic sports. Technically, I shouldn't even have been in the room. Hmm. We covered a ton of SNC principles, practical speed work, and discussed how to build culture and coachability. At no point did I feel out of my depth in the, partic- in the practicals or discussion. I came away with a huge appreciation for Power Athlete Methodology, the ground it covers and how much it set me up. I am yet to make it out to Texas for testing, all in good time. I just wanted to let you know that it really does empower coaches and mm-hmm. set a strong foundation. I have now have a friend here in the UK on the methodology as well and excited to see where she takes it. Thanks to you, John, Tex, and Luke, a.k.a. the other fella, for all you do, mm-hmm. Matt. P.S., any chance of some new Johnny Wad t-shirts? Oh. Come on, man. Yellow is the new black. So if any of you guys are listening to this mm-hmm. and you have any suggestions mm-hmm. for a new Johnny Wad t-shirt, mm-hmm. you can call and leave a message at... 929-464-4640.
2: That's nine two nine ing ing zero, and ladies and gentlemen, if you want to learn about the courses we have out there for coaches, for practitioners, for parents, the way we have written this is McQuown has done a hell of a job, ciphering all of John's practical experience, marrying it with the literature, and then we've distilled it down so that you can practically apply it right away, like that. It's not just like that. It's not overly complicated. It's packaged to play with. Like, it's ready to rock. And that's at the methodology course. It's in our ACL courses. It's our warm-up course. It's all of our other courses on the academy. We made it to give away the best information we have to make you the most powerful coach
3: that you can be. With the goal of... Wow, I feel your mic's a little bit louder than mine. But anyway... Well, it's because I don't speak real loud. I don't yell like you guys. (laughs) The goal is... uh, Sorry, I just yelled again. But the goal is to have you empowered to practically apply and put you in a position to increase your social intelligence, just like our our listener, Matt Bassey, he unsolicited feedback gave us that he was able to stand in a room and communicate, whether that's to new clients, to parents, to sport coaches, or to other strength coaches, you are in a position to then talk shop, stand your ground, and hopefully for new clients, sell. And not be a douche.
2: Mm -hmm. DBD, as they say, if you want to know... More about the uh, courses, head to academy.powerathletehq.com. And if you have any questions, hit us up at academy at powerathletehq.com or hit the little contact dealio on the website. Um, but now let's get into our chit-chat with our friend Josh Storms. Mm-hmm. Florida State, story past director of sports performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We get to hear about the weight room. We get to hear about the, the new landscape for collegiate athletes, kind of the psychology of the young guys going in. All sorts of good stuff from Josh. And then uh, Old School hooked us up.
3: Old School Zach Ebenech. Old Evanesh School. I thought we would, and he was right, have a great
1: conversation, so he connected us. There you go.
2: Well, let's have that great conversation. I'm excited. Let's do it. This is kind of like the welcome guest.
1: This is how we start every Monday: is by making fun of each other for at least to seven show. to ten minutes.
2: Yeah, just ranting at one, yelling <laughs> about nothing with no no agenda at all. But uh, how you doing, man?
1: Doing
4: good, man. Good. Appreciate you guys having me on. It's awesome.
3: Oh Absolutely. yeah, and we're we're catching you on a, a victory Monday. So excited! Yeah, to... that's good. It's good. It's better than better than <laughs> better than last Monday for sure.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you guys two and one? Well, one and two. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, one and two. Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah, we opened 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 with Georgia Tech. Uh,
4: had a bye week with a change of schedule, and then we were at Miami. Head Jacksonville State here last weekend, and now this Saturday we're headed to Notre Dame.
1: I caught uh, the I, I caught the Miami game. That was uh, a lot of points scored.
4: Yeah, that's that was that's a that was that was a rough one, man. That's year one and building and trying to instill the culture and uh, everything that goes along with it. So
1: man, I can't believe part that of part, uh,
4: part of the process.
1: Well, well, you got, um, the head coaches showed up in December and then you showed up at towards the end of December of 2019. So I can't even imagine what it's been like in 2020 with, uh, this new changing environment. And I mean, Jesus.
4: Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, it's a tough year for year one. So we played, played in the cotton Bowl on December 28th. Um, Flew back with the team that night, was in the truck with my wife and son about five hours later driving here. And then, so I was on the ground here midway through the next day. And then we started, our academic calendar, we actually started school really early. Uh, we started on uh, January 7th is when we started. Oh, you guys and are on the quarter?
1: The, the, you guys are on the quarter? No, st-
4: no, still still semesters. Wow. Um, just just early, yeah. I mean, I'm used to not starting to like the Tuesday after Martin Luther King Day. Sure. So so like for our guys here that, you know, coming in new, they had just played in the Sun Bowl on like the 31st or something like that. So it was a, it was a quick turnaround for those guys having to jump straight to a winter program and having to do things, you know, a little bit differently than, because it's, you know, year one and you're trying to instill your your way of working and those things, but also trying to acknowledge those guys just played, a, played in the football game eight days prior. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, made good progress in the winter. Then we got three spring practices knocked out and then into quarantine. Mm -hmm. So then at one point during quarantine, we'd actually been away from our guys longer than we had been with our guys. Wow.
1: Wow. So how did did you handle that? I mean, guys are at home. I would imagine what they shut school down. You sent guys home. And what was it like uh, emails with weekly or, uh, you know, monthly programs and maybe Zoom check ins?
4: Yeah, so so what we we're doing, we kind of we, we split the roster up after talking to guys, trying to figure out one so not anybody had a too too many guys to manage, you know. Plus with that, we had like our our uh, our signees and all that too. So you know, you had already our roster plus an additional you know 25 high school kids that just signed letters of intent that we that we work their programming before they get on campus as well, and then just guys are all over the board. I mean, some guys still had great places to train, some guys had absolutely nothing to train with, and then any of their combination in between. So it was kind of trying to divide guys up into who had what and who can kind of follow realistically what style of programming. And then, you know, you might have guys on the barbell based program for the first month. And also you get a phone call on Sunday night, coach, they just closed down my high school. I got nothing. Okay. Well, here's body weight stuff. We'll send you some bands. We'll do what we can do. You know, and so it was just, it was just constant adaptation. Uh, basically, we we'd check in with those guys twice a week. You know, once midweek, once on Sundays to get them their next week of training. And basically, we just took it week by week with that entire group. Um, you know, did what we could do. We got those guys. Uh, uh, we got everybody that was away on like uh, clean eats, meal delivery. Uh, so we were trying to do everything we could do for those guys. Uh, you know, boxing up supplements, sending them supplements, sending them protein, trying to make sure they had every resource they could possibly have while they're away. Trying to do the best job we could do with that.
1: Wow. And then, uh, so then when did you guys come into, uh, I mean, did you guys come in like in August for like training camp?
4: Yeah. So we actually, by the time we kind of got cleared to start opening back up, we had, we had a pretty good setup. We ended up having, uh, uh, you know, kind of a scaled back into it. So originally we came back. Uh, not, not super small groups. We didn't get stuck in like 10 guys per group kind of deal. Uh, we are more so, ba- you know, we, they based upon square feet percentage of occupancy and, you know, Florida was a little more, uh, forgiving in that. So we kind of just followed the state's plan. And, uh, you know, for us, the square feet we have, you know, 25% occupancy is Based upon occupancy, is almost a full group. So we went slightly reduced, but then we started back, basically, basically like in kind of a two a day setup. So they'd have you know a session of field work and a session of weight room work. So basically, doing what we would normally do in a full two hour block, splitting up into two sessions about five hours apart. Just trying to be realistic with where those guys would be coming back. You know, could they get through a two hour session? Probably, but with what kind of quality towards the later half of it? You know, whereas the guy knows, hey, come in, get warmed up, kick ass for forty five minutes rest of the day rest recoup come back do it again so we're getting two sessions of what we felt was a lot higher quality work helping those guys manage the fatigue a little bit and then about about a month into that started combining some sessions getting back to kind of our standard way of training you know feeling it out seeing how they're handling it And for the most part man our guys did a really really awesome job while they were away
2: Um, yeah yeah we you know as 12 like 12 16 weeks ago we were talking to some strength coaches on like what are you expecting when these guys show up did like I mean, they're younger dudes. Like you said, a lot of them didn't have these facilities. Was um, mm-hmm. was the arrival as the team came together as, I don't want to say bad, but like, I mean, they're young kids. Did you get out of uh, them in their remote training what you expected or were you more than surprised? Was it worse? Did you know, it depend? I was I – was,
4: it. it. I, you know i'll say it exceeded my expectations but i also had expectations of it being absolutely fucking awful when they came back yeah you know so it didn't take much to exceed that but really and truly though from the you know retention of strength was way better than I expected i thought those guys were really really weak coming back mm-hmm. for the most part those guys were pretty on par um you know i think we tried we brought them back in a, in a you know, I guess what I consider a pretty smart, common sense way of, of reintegrating back into full training. Um, you know, the conditioning levels were way down, which that's to be expected, but that's also probably the easiest quality to raise back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- it was, it was good. Um, you know, some of the biggest adjustment was was just like on the the emotional side of it. You know, you got young guys who've now been on their own for months. You know, I'm going to work out when I want to work out, how I want to work out, I'm going to live how I want to live, whatever. And now you're back into structure and get behind the line and we're here on time and we're doing things a certain way. And no longer, it's no longer on your terms. It's on, it's on the team's terms. And, and for some guys, that was a, that was a, a bigger adjustment than what we anticipated, you know, but as guys kind of assimilate back in and kind of becomes the norm again for them. But it was a little bit of a culture shock for a lot of guys coming back, especially coming back into a program that to be honest, they weren't very familiar with yet to begin with. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Anybody. Um, I mean, uh, I, I know these guys are division one scholarship individuals. So, I mean, they are, hopefully coming in, there's a lot of, you know, lore and, you know, history with Florida state. I mean, did uh, anybody not really buy in or were guys kind of on the fence or did everybody come back like ready to, you know, kick the, uh, like kick the door off the hinges and come on it's in? Been, and, you
4: yeah. know, it's, it's been really good in general. Um, and, and, and like you said, it's, it's partially because of being at a place like a Florida state, you know, there's a lot of places that are, uh, I don't know, cool places to go play college football. The kid chooses for one reason or another campus lifestyle, whatever, but like, when you choose a place like this you're choosing there's a lot of history with that logo there's that's big big shoes to fill and when a kid signs a florida state you're kind of assuming your role in the, his, in the history of this place and and we got a class of guys here now that they they know that they're part of the you know one of the most disappointing errors in football here you know and they nobody wants to have their name attached to that you know you have a group of guys that wants to get it right that wants to right the ship they don't want to come back to Alumni stuff 20 years from now and they're like, oh you were there the you know Late 20 teens, you know None of those guys want that and so they want to get it right. They're eager for all that And so it's it's just a matter of t- it's it's daily daily teaching of like showing them the way how, how do we do that? How do we be great again? You know, and it's just it's it's day by day It's brick by brick and you know, it takes it takes time and and whatnot. But, but for the most part, man, we got a really, really good group of kids. Now, you know, we've lost some guys along the way, but you know, kind of the, our program what our program has the guys, it's definitely not for everybody. You well, wasn't know, and it, like, that's okay too. Uh,
1: wasn't it something like, I mean, really um, like with like the rise of Alabama and some of these other teams coming up, I mean, Florida state, like, um, you know, during my time in the NFL, I mean, I played with, you know, Corey Simon and uh, Trey Thomas and a lot of these dudes were all first round draft picks. And any dude that came out of Florida state was always like, I joke with Tex that, um, any dude that came out of Texas, I was like, this guy sucks. (laughs) But the dudes that came out of Florida state usually were like high motor, big impact, solid players. Like those dudes were always players in Florida state. And I wonder if at the time, you know, with uh, so much of the hype of Florida state that now that other teams are kind of getting a little better, kind of pulled from the recruiting classes a little bit.
4: Yeah. You know, talking to, you know, like Odell Higgins is our, is our D line coach here and you know, Odell played here. uh, He's the longest tenured assistant coach in the country. He's been here for generations of players (laughs) And the biggest difference, you know, talking to him is, you know, back then when this place was at that peak, Florida kids did not leave the state of Florida. Yeah, They were coming here or they're going to the U or maybe they went to Gainesville, but they did not leave the state. And now, you know, you look at, you know, top rosters across the country and everybody comes to pick Florida kids, you know? So for a lot of, a lot of what we're trying to do is trying to one, keep, you know, build that in-state recruiting and stuff, try to get more of those guys to stay here instead of going to Georgia, instead of going to Alabama, you know, but back then, those guys did not leave this state.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a good point. I mean, you think between California, Texas and Florida, I mean, you're pretty much looking at like 75% of every NFL roster is from those three states. Yeah, it's huge. It's
4: huge. And I I think, uh, uh, Georgia has a ton of guys as well, you know, and that's right, it's right in our backyard as well. So obviously we try to get, you know, into into some of those states to pull some guys too, but you know, at the end of the day, like we'll, 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 you know, probably, you know, sink or swim with our guys when we pull from from this state. And and we should be just fine doing that because the the level of talent down here is is, is pretty impressive. The, the kids that come through, you know, back in the spring, we could still have, you know, on-campus recruiting, and junior days and those types of things. You have these kids rolling through that are 16, 17 years old and, other than being baby faces, you could throw those guys in the NFL locker room at least one a physical appearance, they wouldn't look out of place. And it's like, where do these guys come from? You know? And so has been it's been it's been fun. It's been fun down here. We've just got to keep continuing to 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 work those channels and get those guys here and then just maximizing the guys we have on our roster.
1: Uh, why do you think that is? I mean, it's funny. Um, maybe it's social media or whatnot, but like, man, I'll like, uh, you know, things will pop through my feed and I'll see these like 17, 18 year old kids out there, you know, playing. And I'm thinking, man, these kids don't look anything like the 17 and 18 year old kids when I was playing or more importantly, what I looked like showing up at 17 or 18 years old. It's amazing how much faster and bigger and just more mature these kids look. And the only thing I can think of, it's like the four minute mile thing where, uh, you know, nobody could Mm -hmm. be the four minute one dude does it. Then everybody does it.
4: Yeah, and it, it, it's crazy because we talk about that a lot. I mean, just, just the sheer size of kids today compared to what we were growing up. You know, I'm, I'm 42. You know, I think of, like, what my, you know, high school team looked like in 1997, you know, and the, guy, and the guys that were going on to play college and, like, compared to the guys that walk in these doors, like, it's it's completely different. I even just look at, like, my son who's seven and how big he is at seven years old compared to, like, what I was at seven years old, you know? and it's just it's it's across the board and i think too i think the four minute mile thing is is very true especially in regards to like strength you know got you know kids you pop on youtube instagram anything and you see guy after guy after guy pulling seven eight hundred pound plus deadlifts. guys pulling 900 like on a regular basis so those kids just see that like oh that's what strong is dude whereas if you grew up prior to all that if the the strongest guy you knew pulled 500 well in your mind boy 500 is a huge pull
1: yeah
4: now you see that for some guys that's 60%
1: dude. I, I, I talk about that all the time. I was like, man, I I had never known anybody at my age to be able to lift these weights. and Like the only time I ever saw any of that stuff was like these old, like fat out of shape power lifters that were lifting these weights. And I remember thinking like, shit, if I had known that there were kids as like, it's just like, you don't really think about it. You're like, well, shit, if that guy can do it, I can do it. And then you just kind of push yourself up to that. I mean, think, think about, um, uh, you know, powerlifting with like the West side guys, they were all trying to squat a thousand pounds. And then all of a sudden the raw powerlifting came up and now all the raw powerlifters are squatting over a thousand pounds. Yeah, and nobody's it's, it's, even paying okay. attention to the gear lifting anymore.
4: No, no. And you got those guys raw just put up just, just unbelievable numbers, man. There's so many times like, I'll, I'll, I'll scroll through my feed. I'll see some of these totals. I'm like, I quit. What am I even doing this for? You know, <laughs> health, it's, it's, health. it's over. yeah, yes. That, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, where you see, uh, you know, like Travis Mash and the kids that he trains, yeah. and like the, the numbers those kids are putting up. I mean, they got, it's, it's, un- it's unreal. Dude, like 17 year old you know?
1: kids front squatting 500 pounds. And I'm like, uh, like, yeah. like, like Travis will text me and he'll send me these videos of these kids. And I'm like, first of all, uh, if I could go back in time, I'd go, live with you and train at your place, but, uh, oh, you know, no doubt. No I mean, doubt. I'm like, dude, th- and these kids are training in like, um, and the, the technique isn't even that good. And these kids are still grinding it out. And I'm like, Holy shit. It's impressive. Yeah.
4: And I th- and I think too, that just that the wealth of information is so much better out there and the quality of training out there. Cause even if a kid doesn't have a quality coach, that coach still has access to quality information. And even if they're only relaying well, a certain percentage of it, it's probably still better than what any of us did growing up. Cause we were either, Winging it, or reading muscle magazines, or or whatever that that was where your information came from back then, you yeah, know. Of course. So now it's just tip of your fingertips. You have access to better quality ways to train, and I think that probably feeds into that a little bit as well.
1: Uh, the Florida State of the past was kind of the, you know, speed, you know, run down field, every, you know, five wide receivers, lots of go routes, lots of speed on defense. Is that uh, I mean, that's how I've always thought of Florida State. Is that something that you guys are trying to bring back and, you know, hey, like this is who we were. This is who we've always been. And this is the direction we're going.
4: Yeah. You know, so with with, you know, from an offensive standpoint, you know, with Coach Norvell's offense, you know, it's basically it's it's, it's basically a run first pro style offense in a spread presentation. You know everybody sees you spread and sees you go fast at times and just assumes oh it's just a spread it's a spread offense so really what we do is quite a bit it's quite a bit different than that and you know for us you know a lot of people like places will talk we'll talk tempo and you know you assume tempo is just go fast go fast go fast but we'll try to we'll try to control the tempo in the sense there's times where we want to go slow you know there's times where we want to have the ability to go fast and so for us you know from a practice standpoint we're going to train those guys to be trained to go fast because it's a lot easier to slow it down in a game situation to to manage the clock steal a possession things like that than it is to suddenly try to get guys to figure out how to go fast and you'll see you'll see our kids once we get fully in and you know our way is just their way that's all they know when we slow things down you almost see the kids get uneasy because they're so used to go 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 and now you're like slowing it down we're milking a clock we're trying to get one more possession in the half you know whatever and those it's you almost see like what do we do? What do we do? You know, and that's, that's what you want to get it to, And it just, it takes, it takes, time to, to get there, you know, and then defensively, you know, our defense coordinator is going to be going to be aggressive. We're going to attack. And it's just, once again, it's just guys, you know, learning to trust their training, not just the training that we're doing down here, but just their training that happens daily at practice and daily in the film room, being able to build the trust in that. So when they see things, they can trust their eyes and just put the fucking hammer down and go.
1: Yeah. A lot of one back, a lot of like four wide, three, you know, trips and, yeah, it was funny when I, wa- when I was watching the Miami, I was like, man, this is because uh, I, uh, I remember seeing, um, you know, was it uh, Coach Norville at, at uh, Memphis and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, extremely like putting up a lot of high points and a lot of speed. And yeah. it was just it was exciting football to watch.
4: Yeah, it was fun. It was fun, you know, and we we had a great group of kids there. And, you know, that, that situation there was a little bit different. You know, we when we got there in 16, you know, that's a program that had a little bit of a taste of winning. There was on a little bit of an upswing, you know, with uh, uh, Coach Fuente leaving there and going to Virginia Tech. And so, you know, we came to a situation with, like, a little bit of a, a different pressure there. And they're like, hey, this has kind of been the, the best era of football in school history. How are you guys going to make this better? And we were fortunate enough to be able to build on that. And I think we won uh, eight our first year. And then uh, 10, 12, you know, going, going forward from there, finally that we went with the conference championship last year, but played for a conference championship three times and happened to be in the same, same conference as the same time that UCF is on a pretty historic role as well. So
1: is, uh, has the football, and I was kind of thinking on this part today, like, uh, as a strength coach and just as a, you know, football coach, uh, has the environment changed with like the, tra- with the transfer portal, Because, I mean, you know, I I played at Cal, and I remember there were some dudes that were fucking assholes, and uh, the coaches rode their ass, and dudes wanted to quit, but they couldn't, you know. If I I don't play here, I'm not going to play. Now I feel like with, like, the transfer portal, if you get into something where maybe a kid's maybe not a good fit, there's, like, no, uh, like, I don't know, no reason to kind of stay and kind of drive it through. Easy to bounce. It's just easier to be like, I'm fucking out. So I wonder as a coach if you have to change up your – like, hey, we can't ride these kids too hard because they're going to pull the fucking ripcord on us.
4: Well, and this year is even more different because now you've added in the option to opt out, you know. And so with that, a guy, it's, that's not even transfer. A guy, he can just show up to work on Monday and be like, you know what, I'm done with this. And you can you can opt out and you still retain your scholarship check and everything else through, through you know, the end of that semester and everything else. You know, and we've had some guys who've, who've taken that option, you know, and then with the transfer portal, you know, I get it. You know, those guys are making big decisions at 18 years old you know, where I'm going to spend the next, you know, four or five years of my life. And sometimes you flat out make a wrong decision, you know, or you may go someplace and the staff changes the very next year and all that relationships you came there for are no longer there. Now it's just a logo. Maybe that's not the reason you chose that place. Sure. Um, but really and truly though, my philosophy with that is, I'm not going to coach guys any different because of it. Because if a guy is so inclined to want to, you know, opt out for health reasons is one thing, you know, but if you're just opting out because it's, a new way to quit without being called a quitter, you know. Same as the transfer portal. If a guy's wired like that to begin with, we're never going to be great with that guy anyways. Yeah, get
1: rid so of guys wanna, if Guys want
4: to. If guys want to leave, trust me, we are not begging anybody to stay. Because once again, that just that's going to go all the way to the core of, you know, is that kid is that kid a is that kid a natural competitor, and, and, and you play at the highest level. If you're not a natural competitor, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be great.
1: No, man. And uh, the other thing, too, is I'm always amazed when these kids make these decisions. It's so young. I mean, I remember I showed up to college and I was probably like 6'4", 255, 260 pounds. And uh, over that four years, I ended up growing to be like over just under 6'6". So I grew two inches in college and put on like, geez, what, like 45 pounds? So like uh, if I had been like, well, no, they're fucking me. I'm not playing at 18. Dude, I had no business playing. I was just like trying not to get my fucking head killed on the scout team. And then I go in in my second year and I play and I'm battling with another dude for a job. And it was my sophomore year. I actually won a job and I played into it. I mean, but like I, I can't even imagine like trying to make that decision at 18 years old that they're screwing me. I need to go somewhere else. I had fucking no business. Like, I remember that first game I started as a redshirt freshman. They threw me out there, and I was, like, looking around. I'm like, you sure you guys want me out here? Because I'm going to get fucking murdered. And I ended up doing fine because the dudes I was uh, facing in practice were way better than the dudes we were playing against. But it's just – it's amazing – that these kids think that they can make this decision when uh, you're like the different, and, and you, you've known this, like the difference between 18 and 22 and 23. Cause when I showed up to go play in the NFL, it wasn't that different from 23 to 30, but that difference from 18 right. to 23 is Huge. so, Oh dude, it's the difference between a boy and a man. And then you show up and it's just like men versus old men.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no question. And, and the thing is like, you know, we forget sometimes like, like, ego isn't just an adult thing ego you got to deal with ego at you know 17 18 years old making those decisions and stuff too
1: you know and a bunch of parents pumping you know, them up
4: uh, parents and high school coaches seven on seven coaches you know there's a, there's a lot of people involved with these kids as they, as they go through that process you know and it's, it's just changed you know with the way you know so much recruiting is done via the internet really god this year almost all your recruiting is done via the internet you know it's so a, a kid could be so much more the amount of access and contact they can get is so much more than it used to be. You know, it used to be coaches had to get out on the road and go watch games and evaluate guys and try to find these diamonds in the rough. And like that doesn't exist anymore because every one of those kids can put their huddle film out there. Everybody has access to it. Everybody can contact them. So they have so many more people that come at them, which is great because it gives kids opportunities. It's also, you know, can give them a, a, a false sense of how, how important they are in the overall process. Cause when you have the entire world coming to you, telling you you're great and how much they want you, cause they have that much more access. It's different than it was once upon a time where the handful of schools that saw you were the ones coming after you. Now it's everybody everywhere. Yeah.
3: There was a pretty public story about university of Texas kid that all, all state player now as a freshman, he, they were blowing out UTEP and he had a little fit and tiff because he wasn't getting the playing time and they, I mean, the game was a blowout, so they gave some walk-ons opportunity to get some, some PT and just feel unfortunate because he had a, just lost his cool for a moment, yeah, and now laughs, it's a very public character. story.
1: And it, <sighs> that label is going to be with yeah. him whether he chooses to stay or go with, with Texas. Well, and also, if he wants to play later on, um, the amount of stuff that he's going to have to do to, like, I mean... In- shit, uh, interview well? Well, no, but, like, uh, re- just give a Randy Moss, for example. I mean, a lot of people are willing to look for, like, look the other way with a Randy Moss, but, like, how many dudes have that similar kind of, like, oh, this guy's a cancer, get rid of this dude. As, a, you, know, as you know, the uh, NFL um, scouts, the first dude they talk to is usually the strength coach. And they always want to know is he a hard worker? Is he consistent? Does he show up on time? You know, is he a likable kid? Can we work with him? I mean, that's the first questions they ask. And like, it's yeah. always amazing when, uh, and I saw this in college where dudes had battled the strength coach and they're like, Oh yeah, don't worry. It's me different in the NFL. I'm like, "Motherfucker, you ain't getting there when the strength coach fucking shits on you.
4: <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. And the, because the thing is like the kids just think they come and ask us like, Oh, what's, what's he, what's he squat? What's he clean? What's he jump? What's he run? I don't ever get asked that. Not by good organizations anyways. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's always it's, – it's, it's, it's character questions. It's, it's trust questions. It's do they love ball. It's all those things. It's never like, hey, what's that kid squat? It, that's not, not high on the priority list when they're trying to evaluate if they're going to invest in the guy or not invest in the guy.
1: Well, they also know too that as a strength coach, you spend orders of magnitude greater amount of time with the kids. I mean, so they go talk to the football coach, watch the film with the coach, and then they come talk to the strength coach. I used to watch that – I mean, I remember when I was a junior and a senior in college, like the amount of uh, um, NFL, you know, uh, scouts that would walk through the very first place they would stop was always at the strength coach. And I'm like, they come talk to you. And he's like, every time. And, and it, it wasn't like, hey, how are you? It was like 20, 30 minutes with, you know, clipboard going over. And I was like, well, it's pretty good. Heads up, you know, in terms of a person yeah, you no, those guys. They'll,
4: with. They'll, they'll, yeah. They'll, I mean, those guys go in depth. You know, I got some of those guys, the will call me outside of here and like, you know, so they may be in here with another group of scouts and, you know, this year it's all done on Zoom, but, you know, they're only going to ask so many questions in front of other organizations. And it's usually, it's always going to be the conversation after the conversation, you know? And some of those guys, I can tell like they're They keep it really generic in their questions. And as soon as everybody else leaves the room, they, they're going to double back. Okay. Now tell me X, you know? And, and the thing is like, you know, for me with those, with, with our guys, like I tell them when they ask about it, like, like coach, what do you tell them? I don't tell them anything. I just read them your story. Since the very first day you stepped on campus, you've been writing your story. And that's all I'm going to do is read them that story when they come in. I said, I'm never going to play up stuff that's not real. And I'm never going to make up things to be worse than what they really are. Because I said, if I can't give those guys an honest assessment on what I think of you, or if I'm embellishing who you are because I like you, I said, that's going to fuck the next guy that I'm trying to help. So I'm always going to keep it really, really open with those guys. And just simply all I'm going to do is recite to them everything you've done since you've been here. Good, bad, and otherwise, you know, trying to find the, trying to find the, you know, the gold to show them because you know, finding the garbage is always easy. So, you know, just trying to be open, open and honest with those things, and trying to you know, stay in my lane to a a certain aspect. It's not my job to necessarily evaluate them as a player, but but as a man is is a totally different deal.
3: So, I want to I want to go back because you began your coaching career at the NFL level. So, Zach Evanesh. He's, he's the one that connected us for the, the show here. Yeah. So take us all the way back to that, that season with the NFL and then deciding is more college, more your style, or you had more opportunity at college. So take us back.
4: Yeah. So, so what you know as done, um, basically needed to do an internship for school. And through dumb luck and not knowing anybody, I, I literally sent out two resumes. I sent one to the Vikings and one to the Chiefs. Um, interviewed for both of them. Actually, had offered both of them, which is completely dumb luck. But that was with some guidance from. Um, I was volunteering at a private facility in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, with a guy named Steve Bliss. And Steve was part of uh, Boyd Epley's original crew in Nebraska. Um, was the first ever strength coach at Miami. Was the first ever strength coach at Ohio State. And I'd met him like on the tail end of his career when he got out of the college into the private private sector. And. Uh, kid helped guide me quite a bit because uh coming from the university of south dakota our strength coach was also our d-line coach you know and so you know we we, you know we worked hard and we had an organized program but it's we never really got that true like oh this is a strength coach this is what a strength coach does you know i just knew that i I love the weight room love training i would always been a Mm -hmm. long undersized kid and i knew the only chance i ever had to play was going to be based upon my work in the weight room because if it wasn't for that i wouldn't have a chance period so was in love with that part knew i knew i loved football but knew i didn't necessarily want to be a football coach um and just realized as time went i was more passionate about the the preparation that goes in behind the scenes to play the game than maybe even actually playing the game itself for myself anyways uh so sent those two sent those two out uh took the position in minnesota uh steve wetzel was the head strength coach there at the time uh that so i was there i got there and uh went up during spring break and worked otas Uh, That would have been in 2000 is when that was. And that was there for the 2000-2001 season. Uh, That was Coach Green's last year up there. Uh, That staff got got fired at the end of that season. So at that point kind of split, went our own ways. Um, You know, I still need to go to grad school at that point. So that kind of was what led me back to college and ended up, you know, staying in college from that point on. Um,
1: Was that Mike Tice Tice after Denny Green?
4: Uh, Let's see who followed
1: coach green there well like mike tice was the uh, offensive line coach he was, when he, the, yeah yeah he, yeah
4: he was he was our line coach and he was the the offensive coordinator at that time
1: that's right that's
4: because right. uh because billy had already left to go
1: to the ravens that's right yeah no so, he, yeah. He, he he came out and worked me out and he was uh, hey yo this is mike tice that's what yeah, he he's a giant like. human being yeah he was a, yeah <laughs> and he was i think from like new york so he had this like kind of funny new york guy. i was like this guy's he, he reminded me of herman munster Oh
4: yeah. He's Mike, Mike a great guy. He was a super, super good guy. I mean, like, I remember like my little brother came to like the Mike Tice football camp up there at that time. And like, you know, I'm, I'm the lowest of low interns in that place. And like, he'd swing through and be like, Oh, how's your little brother doing? And like, he's just, he's just, he's just really, really good dude. But uh, that experience was awesome being able to see at that level, especially coming from at that time, what was a D2 school. So I'm going from, you know, playing and being part of a D2 program to seeing that level and just the, 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 differences in you know pretty much all aspects and i just always looked at it like that like it's a great it was a great place to start because I mean, you know what it is what it is there's always, there's always so many of those opportunities and if you can put that on your resume that you've been there and seen that that's one thing especially as a young coach that you have that a lot of the guys don't have and may never have you know uh but basically once that staff once that staff was fired and split it was kind of like shit now what you know so i knew i needed to search out of grad school you know, and knew I wanted to base grad school upon an opportunity to be in the weight room. because um, I think a lot of guys make the mistake of picking a school because of an academic program and then trying to figure out, well, I want to be a coach. Well, shit, you should have figured that out first. You know, my deal was find an opportunity to go coach. And then do you also have an academic program that kind of is in line with what I'm looking for? And, uh, went and looked at quite a few schools, talked to some people, uh, ultimately went to UNLV. Um, and basically went to UNLV just off the recommendation of our players that we had when I was in Minnesota. Um, you know, all those guys, you know, all those guys had their own feelings about that program there, but, um, you know, uh, you know, Kylie Wong and some of those other guys, uh, used to train with, uh, Mark Philippi in the off season, um, mm-hmm. who was at UNLV at that time. And they all told me like, man, if you really want to do this, if you really want to learn to coach, if you really want to do this, like you got to go work for Mark, right? There's nobody better out there. That's who you got to go to. And so at that point with my absolutely zero network and not knowing any better, you know, <clears throat> reached out, found a way to get a hold of him, talked about volunteering and, and basically, uh, about seven days after my wife and I got married, we moved to Vegas with her with no job and me just gonna take a couple classes and volunteer in the weight room and nobody ever told us that was a bad idea. so we went <laughs> and uh, spent uh, about two and a half years there working working for Mark and uh, that's what really really helped shape a lot of my thought process on you know on programming, on training, just getting to you know be around him, watch him and then just with the, the network of people of his people that came and went, out of that place, while I was there, and, you know, guys like Ed Cone, you know, Magnus for Magnuson, just the, the amount of people that I got exposed to as a young coach there was pretty was pretty awesome.
3: From UNLV, where's where's the next jump? Okay, so
4: uh, in this would have been like December 04, um, Actually, a couple months prior, I had uh, applied for a spot at Arizona State, and uh, the way they had their uh, positions list, I wasn't really sure. You Know it'd be in their top assistant. I wasn't, you know, ready for that spot probably at that time, but they had another spot open a couple minutes, a couple months later, and they reached back out to one of the other assistants at UNLV and said, Hey, tell your guy to apply for this one. So, uh, interviewed for, interviewed for that spot at Arizona State, um, got, got hired there, started there in January of 05. So, that was uh, Dirk Cutter was the head coach, and uh, Joe Ken was the head strength coach, um, was there through geez four five ADs, three head football coaches, three head strength coaches, spent 11 seasons there. Um, so went from Dirk Cutter through Dennis Erickson uh, with uh, Todd Graham coming in in 2012. Um, head strength coaches initially, like I said, worked for Joe Ken. Uh When he left, uh, they hired Ben Hilgart, who was at Virginia Tech now. He was the top assistant there. Him and I were sharing office at that point when he got hired. And then when Todd Graham came in, uh, Sean Griswold came in with him and spent a couple of years working for him. And on that staff is where I met coach Norvell as he came in as a uh, uh, first time OC with that staff. So I got really lucky for, you know, that point in the point in most coaches careers where you're making a move every two or three years and you're bouncing around nomadic all over the country. Like I got really fortunate. I got to see a bunch of different programs, a bunch of different ways to do it. I did it all from the same exact office.
2: Yeah. Josh, it sounds you know, this, this dumb luck theme, it could be one explanation, but is it possible maybe, um, How you framed up your your application or your cover letter or your resume or the way you approached interviews, I guess, in hindsight, now that you're in a position to take on new interns and volunteers and young coaches. Is there anything that looking back you did differently or um, intentionally that you think maybe allowed you to stand out from the rest of the pool?
4: Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe just, I, I was, I think I was always eager. I think I was always very apparent. Like I was very passionate, and serious about doing this job, doing it for the right reasons. And then I think at the end of the day, I was just willing to outwork everybody else and out sacrifice everybody else. Um, and, you know, I've never made it a point to, to do anything else as far as like networking goes other than just wherever I'm at, do my job the very best I can do it. And hope at some point somebody that can help you out notices and sees what you're about and values that and wants you to be part of, of, of their deal you know? And I think also like as time went on there was, you know, knowing what I, knowing what I wanted and not being afraid to ask for what I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I know like when, when coach Graham's staff came in, uh, you know, my boss at that time had already been, had already been let go. Um, and the new staff was kind of upstairs in the sixth floor already operating while the other staff was retained for the bowl game. And, you know, so we kind of, kind of got caught, you know, we're kind of no man's land there. So I, I went upstairs and asked to talk to coach Graham and sat down with him and just basically told us, listen, I got no idea what you plan on doing with our staff, with our position, whatever. I know you have your guy with, that's been with you that you're bringing in. I said, right now, my title is still assistant strength coach. It's my job to assist whoever the head strength coach is. So I said, I need his number. I need to reach out to him. I need to see what he wants. I said, I still got guys training downstairs every day for right now. My loyalty is making sure those kids are taken care of and whatever you guys are going to do is what you got to do. Cause it's part of the business. So I reached out to coach Griswold and, uh, by this point, we're at the Vegas Bowl, so I'm spending half my days on the computer talking to him, trying to organize, getting some equipment ordered and doing all, doing a lot of legwork, a lot of transition in, knowing full well that I could very well be fired the first day he gets there. But at the same time, what am I going to do? Say, well, fuck it, I'm getting fired. Fuck these guys. Let's, I'm going to sit in my office and do nothing and just wait for them to tell me to go. Or why don't I just keep doing my job until it's not my job anymore? and put my best foot forward and let them let them make the decision of like hmm, this guy might be valuable for us going forward and that's exactly what happened um so was able to stay on there uh was the got moved to a, a football only position uh as our top assistant which was the only football only spot on that staff at that time um because we were still in, in a shared facility but I think a lot of that was just willingness to to work hard and put myself out there and do my job and and don't you know, make my intentions known of what, of what I was about, what I wanted and what my values were at the end of the day, my values were making sure those kids are taken care of first, you know, until it was somebody else's job to take care of them. And then fortunately I got in a situation where it's still my job to take care of them.
2: So, so compare that to, I guess the mindset, I feel like the ethos of a strength coach, this might be a bold move is like what you're saying there, Josh is like, I'm going to work harder than every other guy. Like if you're a weight room guy, and you're getting into the strength coach game like that, you've been playing that card for for years. And I'm not saying it's like, to, I'm not trying to devalue or reduce it because we've met people like that who have gotten pretty far. But if every other guy is doing that, are they, like, what, what are the guys that you excelled over? Like, what were they not doing that you were able to? Or what were they unable to articulate? Or where did they slip up? And I guess in an effort to help some younger strength coaches who are listening to this learn from other mistake, other people's mistakes, you know?
4: Yeah. You know, I think I think maybe part of it is, is, you know, we always talk about keeping the main thing the main thing. You know, the main thing is the is, is the relationships, whether it be the relationships in the staff, the relationships with sport coaches, relationships with the kids, and it's it's putting time into into developing the whole things, you know, and it's it's the it's the, you know, to about putting the work in, but it's it, it's the work of all the little things. You know, just whatever. You walk by a piece of the, a little piece of trash in the facility. Are you the one that stops and picks it up, or are you the one that walks by it? You know, and it's just you know living living your life in in that way. And I think I think that stuff's important. You know, we we talk about a lot with my young coaches. You know, to always talk about like act as if. You know, and so if if I'm an intern and I want to be a GA, well then as an intern I better carry myself every day like I'm a GA. And I better show those qualities that I'm capable of being a GA. So eventually, if I'm in that same place the GA spot opens, my boss doesn't sit back and be like, hmm, who are we going to hire for this? It should be completely apparent, like, that's the guy I want this job because he's already basically doing this job. He carries himself this way. I see this in him already. Well, then he's got to be in this position. And then once you're that GA and you want to be a full-time guy, then what do you got to do? You better carry yourself like a full-time guy, you know, and so on and so forth, you know, like eventually be in the top assistant there. Well, I'm only the top assistant because I want to be a head guy, okay? So now when I'm interacting with coaches, when I'm interacting with recruits, when I have my opportunities to be the one in front, I need to present myself in a way to where that offensive coordinator, that defensive coordinator, that position coach looks at me and says, man, when I'm a head guy someday, that's the guy I want. Let them let them view me in a way that they can see me in that role that I wish to be. And if, if you can consistently do that, people are always going to be able to you're going to be the one that's the apparent guy to take the next step. It's the guys that, well, this is my job. I'm just going to do this job. Mm -hmm. And boy, I hope I get that next one. Well, at that point, you're trading time for money and those are the guys that get stuck in the same spot for years and wonder why other guys have excelled past them. It's because they're only doing their job.
2: I guess that's the man in the mirror moment, right? When you realize maybe you're just staying in your safe zone, you're staying in your box, right? And that's what it sounds like in this space, hyper-competitive, very mobile. You got to, Act as if. I kind of like that. It's pretty
1: good. Well, the other one, too, is uh, everybody hires their friends. I mean, there's so much like, I mean, it's so ancestral. Like, hey, like all of a sudden this guy's pretty good and you're kind of buddies with him as an assistant. Then he gets a head job. Next thing you know, you're like, uh, I mean, and that's kind of. Yeah, we, be likable. Well, be but, trustworthy. Right? But but it also, um, it's pretty interesting. Like, uh, you know, in the way college and even the NFL works is like, I mean, the amount of. The amount of people that are head coaches today I knew as assistants is insane. I mean, it's and it's like, and as soon as they go, what do they do? They hire their buddies, they bring them in, and it's just how this whole thing kind of works. And they kind of come out of these two different schools, and man, it's the same deal. So, I mean, you know, if your buddies with uh, Coach Nobel, and then he goes and goes someplace and does well, and he brings his own guys, because everybody wants to be surrounded with guys that have the culture. They don't have to kind of mm-hmm. kick in the door on. So, at the end of the day, don't be an asshole. Mm-hmm. Just be likable. It does
2: help. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the same deal in corporate. I remember when when new leadership would come in, the cronies would roll with them. Everybody would get ousted or shook up and but it's the same deal. And then you get some some a player to go to another company and then he's bringing his crew with him. Right. So you build your posse and you become man. One of the pieces of advice one of my old bosses gave me is you uh, people will do business with those that they know, like and trust. Yeah. So it's like, okay, be sure that you're easy to get to know, that you're likable and you're trustworthy. Like mm-hmm. just do those three things and man, it'll probably get you far, farther than you imagine versus just kind of crawling into your shell and just kind of guarding, guarding who you are and what you have. Right. Put your guard yeah. up. And, same, same, And, with, I, and yeah. I've
4: seen it. Yeah.
1: I'll start. Go ahead. Oh no, 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 dude. I'm yeah. Please go on. <laughs> no, I just, I've, you know, I've
4: seen it both ways. I've seen, I've seen, you know, staffs come in and, and really evaluate keeping certain people I've also seen staffs come in and completely scorch the earth and start over and, and and you know, there's, there's value and merit to both sides. It really is. Um, you know, when I got to, when I got to Memphis, you know, I had the opportunity to basically do whatever I needed to do with my staff. And, uh, you know, there's one guy with me that I knew I was bringing no matter what, because, you know, I knew I, I need at least one guy that's worked with me that understands me, what my intentions are, what I want done, but I want to make sure I took time with the guys that are there. Cause I, I had buddies for sure that like, would have been good hires, but looking at the guys who were there, you know, I started really asking myself like the hard questions, like, what's the advantage the guys that I know have over these guys? Maybe it's just the fact that I know them. Mm-hmm. I just don't happen to know these guys yet. It doesn't mean they're not better coaches, you know? And I, I ended up retaining two of the guys on staff that was pivotal in us being successful there. You know, and in fact one of them is now the head guy at Memphis after we left that took my position. You know, um, and then same thing when we came here, you know, everybody hates hiring people they don't know. And I get it, especially a small uh, college strength staff, we got five guys. One, one wrong guy can completely toxify the culture of your entire staff. So it's so important to get the right five of not just that can convey your message to the team, to work well with your coaches, and that can coach kids and have the knowledge base and all the ability, but also five guys that get along and be in the foxhole together and work together every day and spend that time together, train together, do those things. And so when we came here, um, you know, I knew my staff at Memphis, you know, I knew that coach Franklin was going to get the head job. Uh, I knew coach Scott was actually getting out of the business. His wife had just finished med school. Uh, she's doing her residency at Duke, at Duke medical hospital. I knew he, that that was the path their life was going to take. And then that left two other guys on staff. And I basically talked to, to Noah, coach Franklin and said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to take one. I'm going to leave you one, you know, cause the same thing. He's a first time head guy. Just like, I, just like I was, like, I need at least one guy that I know is in my corner no matter what. So, you know, brought Coach Dowdy with me here. Uh, Coach Tokar stayed with him. And then I, that's when I started reaching out. And I was like, okay, once again, in the same situation again. I got guys I know. I got friends, so to speak, I could hire. But also, I'm going to fucking Florida State. This is a dream job. It's a one-time destination. And you have one single chance to do the shit right. So I was to make sure I could hire the best possible staff I could hire. Fortunately here, you know, the, the, the money's not bad. So I, you know, I knew of kind of what, what, you know, level of candidate I could go after. Uh, and, you know, I had one guy for like my entry level spot here on the staff. I was already working on hiring him at Memphis to replace coach Scott. So I basically called him up and said, Hey, like the plan's not changing. Hang tight for a couple of days. The geography is going to change. So just, stand by you know yeah you like yeah yeah trust me this is a good thing just just hang tight be patient you know uh and then the other two guys that did a lot of reaching out a lot of talking to people i trust in the business and stuff and was able to you know get first-hand knowledge of, of these guys and, and and was able to put together really really awesome staff here because you know i just knew with what this place with what this place needed coming here and the the one-time opportunity to, to do it right you know had to get out of my comfort zone of just okay i got guys i know no, that maybe maybe that's maybe that's not the good thing. Maybe that's not the long-term best decision. And unfortunately, there's some hurt feelings because of that. But at the end of the day, it, you got to make the right decision for not just yourself long game, but the right decision for your kids and your program. Josh, can you, so, so.
2: can you talk about like that gamble of bringing in someone you don't know and making sure you have the right culture fit Like, the t- I feel like the X's and O's is pre- is relatively easy to screen for even if you're going out into your network does this guy know what he's talking about? yes, no, Like, pff, okay but what what do you do to to page through that culture fit and make sure that, like you said he's going to be the right guy or gal or person to jump in the foxhole 16 hours a day, 7 days a week when, when it, things are getting real hot
0: You know, when I hear music like this, I can't help but think about every cheesy 80s action movie ever. There's just something so great about how clearly fake every fight scene and workout montage is. And what's funny is the approach of creating sexy cut-ups of bullshit workouts with highly questionable application actually exists outside 80s movies and is more prevalent than ever. Well, like terrible 80s movies, there's so much training garbage out there to sort through these days. And while entertaining, it's scary to think that some people are actually falling for it. Think of the pyrotechnics in Commando, or the -the over-the-top use of body oil in the movie Over the Top. Is it possible that they're trying to distract us from the completely unrealistic plotline? Kind of like a sexy-looking program with virtually no performance transfer? This is exactly why Power Athlete has been battling the bullshit for over a decade. The research, testing, and retesting that the coaches at Power Athlete HQ have done to create athletic training programs like... Field Strong, and Bedrock is unparalleled. We chose to further refine our templates to create Grindstone, Jack Street, Lean Enable, and Hammer because we know that specific goals require specific stimuli. Okay, here's where the shameless plug comes in. A lot of work goes into developing the absolute best program and user experience possible. Just ask our partners at Train Heroic who have been with us every step of the way and are equally dedicated to empowering your performance as we are. They are relentless when it comes to ensuring that your journey to self-improvement is propelled by the absolute best technology. When you join a power-athlete program on Train Heroic, the first thing you should do is take a giant sigh of relief, seriously, because now you're in the hands of founder and 10-year NFL veteran John Wellborn and his team of world-class coaches. And for less than a dollar a day, you've just become part of a community of like-minded folks who all want the same thing, performance. And if this whole 80s movie metaphor thing makes no sense to you because you were born after 1990, simply substitute Star Wars episodes one through three. Who has the time or the patience for an all-show, no-go, imposter program? Head to PowerAthleteHQ.com backslash training to empower your performance today. Now back to the show.
4: Yeah. I think I think would be the, the first step of that is, is, is doing my homework on them. You know, who have they played with, who have they played for, do I have some common connections there to talk to talk to, to find out what this guy is really like. Um, so like in the case of just using my guys on staff as an example. So uh, Tom Farniak is my, uh, is my second assistant. Um, he played, uh, played at Iowa State, was a two-time All-Big 12 center, uh, played for, for Coach McKnight there so he's kind of part, part of that network um and i actually knew i knew his family for a couple of reasons one uh he's also from south dakota so there's only so many of us out there from that state that are doing this and then uh two we had actually recruited his older brother at arizona state so i'd kind of like known of this kid and of his family for quite a while and um, I talked to him a couple times, uh, in, you know, in the past, so whether it be, you know, through Yancey or at a conference or whatever. Uh, he actually came and visited us, visited Memphis the, the summer before uh, on his way to Louisiana Tech. And uh, was guy I liked and like knew he was like, one of those kids, like you just, no, I shouldn't say kid, he's 30 years old. But one of those guys you look at, and you're like, you know, the guy's eager, you know, he's, you know, he's about it. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter what it's going to, what it is like that dude's about that action. And so like, and it just conveys that, you know? And so it's just conversations, conversations. And like, you know, for me, you know, with interviews, like I'm not a big interview question guy. Like, tell me about this. Tell me about, I I just want to have a conversation. And I think you can learn more in that conversation more so than you can in a bunch of pre-canned questions, you know? And so it's just, for me, it's just, I wish I had a more uh, scientific way to go about it, but it's it's, it's all about the vibe I get off that person. Do I think they can be on board with us? And I think sometimes those situations, you know quote-unquote interview situations like i'll probably spend more time talking about our staff our culture our program myself what i expect because if i'm already to that point have that conversation with them I, I know i'm pretty sold on that person i need them to be on board and sold on what we're about because the last thing i do is man i really like this guy he checks on these boxes i bring him in and then he's like, man, I don't like how we do this, or I don't like that we make the kids do that. And then he feels like it's not a good fit. I want those guys to have a super, super, super clear picture of what they're getting themselves into when they come work for us, mm-hmm. you know. And so he was my first guy I was able to line up. And that was, you know, like I said, that was talking to that was talking to Yance. That was just based upon my little knowledge of him that I had firsthand. Um, and it is just the the feeling I got when he came to visit. And then just a guy also says a lot about a guy when he takes it upon himself to Sacrifice his free time, sacrifice money out of his pocket when you're probably not making a lot of money to come out and visit and educate and do those things. You know what I mean? Like, that's a guy who spent his whatever his spring break driving to other places to go learn and go educate. Well, man, if a guy's going to do that, that guy's already got qualities that I like, you know. Uh, For the for the uh, for Coach Coleman, uh, Lanier Coleman, my top assistant, um, I knew that was good. That was. I knew what I wanted in that position, but then you know, you you gotta go try to find it then. And a recommendation came to me from a guy that I trust who he hates everybody um, literally hates everybody and had gushing things to say about coach Coleman. Like, all right, man, if, if, if Crosby says this guy's good and I know how he feels about most people, I was like, this is definitely worth turning the stone over and see what's under it. Um, so he was at Ole Miss at that time. They had just got let go. So fortunately for me, they were, you know, an hour down the road. Uh, talked to him on the phone a couple of times. Uh, he drove up one afternoon, went down the street, had a couple of beers, had a conversation. Uh, knew, knew I really liked him a lot. Uh, could just tell, talking to him, just that talk about a guy that, comp- that conveys, you know, relentless, you know passion for, for coaching and for ball and all those things. I was like, I, I knew a hundred percent that's the guy I want in this program. And, uh, you know, offer him the position uh, that same night, actually not on the spot, but that same night and uh, why he was thinking about, it, you know, you want to talk to Coach Jackson and kind of you know, weigh things out a little bit, which I, which I understand. But uh, I just completely unsolicited encountered about three more people just randomly that brought him up that had great things to say. So then I knew I was like, OK, that's a home run. Just got to wait for it. Just got to wait for it to connect, you know? And so that was, that was kind of how this, how this staff came together. Um, and and fortunately, I think it's a good thing when you know, you've hired the right people when your kid's here after only, you know, being here a short period of time, like, man, you guys have all been together a long time, huh? Uh-huh. Like, no, I met those guys the same day I met you for the most part. You know, and I think that's a good compliment to how these how these four guys that I have here all work together, and got a crew that's like family that hangs out outside of work and and is wired the same way when we're at work to help develop these guys.
3: I've got a question in line with networking and creating opportunities for yourself as a coach. I know you're a master strength coach with the c s c c a and I find a great value in that. Weekend experience, just in terms of networking for the podcast and connecting with some cool coaches, and then there's Sorex Summer Strong, a less formal, great hangout. And I know you've been there through the the Memphis connection, there Sorex School. So, if we're learning a lot of your hires com- coming from friends and connections through there, has any opportunities created at these networking because they are promoting? like hey th- come here come to the CSCCA cuz you will get a job or it's your next job come ready and i don't hear a lot of those stories as much as i do value the the organization and the experience personally i just never hear that dream come true
4: yeah i, I think i think like you know the CSCCA i think that you know once one it's got it's gotten so big that you know when you go there it's it's just it's a, it's a it's a mass of people it's always going. And I think for a lot of us in this business, you probably don't do a whole lot of true networking there. Cause I know when I go, there's guys that I'll see there. That might be the one and only time I see them in person the entire year, you know, guys that I've worked with before and and this and that. And I think at that one, I think most people end up doing that. You kind of stick in your circle, you know, now summer strong being on the complete other end of that spectrum is so much more personable and everybody's guard is down so much more and, you don't see the logos walking around. It's it, there, it's just about you as a person. And, you know, I kind of know when you walk around that place, like if you're in that place, at some level, we're probably wired pretty similarly, you know? So I, I've been able to, you know, do a lot more networking in that setting than ever at the big conferences. You know, the big conferences serve their purpose for seeing some people in person you haven't seen and getting your CVs, you know? But I think when you go to, go to a Summer Strong, like, that's more about the, the people that are there and the networking the learning and learning and those things. And I, you know, I've been trying to come to the symposium last couple of years. It just never works out because it's, you know, it's right during, right during bowl season and stuff. But I, I can view that as being a similar, a similar setting.
1: We did pick the uh, absolute worst time of the year to have a, a symposium. Well, for the football community. Well, yeah, for football. I mean, and, bas- well, I, and basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like when you talk about strength coaching, I mean, I know we've had basketball strength coaches. I'm always like, Oh, I guess you didn't get the football job. Well, yeah, Zilner always plans, and Hootie was supposed to come this past year, but
3: then all oh, practice got moved. Yeah, we're uh, practice.
1: Yeah, and is um, uh um I know that Florida deregulated all the you know kind of COVID stuff and kind of I you know I don't know I actually know the term other than deregulate, but uh, were there fans? I mean, was the stadium packed? Um, or were you guys expecting a packed stadium?
4: So, so we're, we're, at, we're at like a reduced capacity. So I think we had something like 18,000 at the first game, which in a stadium of 83,000 isn't very many. Um, and so for the time being, like that's the, the, I don't know what percentage of occupancy that is, but that, that's what they're working off of for the time being. Um, you know, it's it's tough. Like, like the student tickets are limited. And for the student to get student tickets, you actually have to have a, a negative COVID test a week of the game to get your student tickets. Wow. Wow. Um, and I mean and here like the you know testing's so available that that's not a hard thing to do, but it's it's just one more step a kid's gotta go through so they can go watch the game on Saturday. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. but I know depending where we're playing at week to week, you know, I know like in uh, you know in, in North Carolina, like there's no fans at any games, period. So now you're in a completely empty stadium. What's and that? that like? a, that's a, that's a, that's, um, you know, we've been lucky because we know with two home games having a small crowd, and then going to Miami, they're on a similar deal as us. So same thing; they probably had you know, ballpark fifteen eighteen thousand people there. Uh, it, it's definitely different. It's definitely different. You and know, then are you guys playing you know,
1: Notre Dame at home? No, yes. at, oh, no, no, We're at South Bend, and then you're at uh, North Carolina.
4: Yeah, no, we actually have North Carolina here this year. Oh, okay. So we won't we won't get our first empty stadium for a little bit yet because even South Bend they're in limited occupancy as well. Oh, so wow. we haven't been, we haven't been in one yet where it's just empty and you have the, the PA and the jumbotron going and they'll pipe music in and yeah. stuff. But, you know, even, even in our small crowds, I mean, like for, for the, the weirdest thing is for the coaches. Cause you can so easily, you can almost coach a game, like you coach of practice. Cause yeah. you can communicate, you know, and that's a completely different deal. Well, I mean,
1: and you even as get, uh, as the get back coach. I mean, you probably don't have to be screaming and battling people the same way. No,
4: it's different, too, and the, the box is bigger. The box goes all the way down to the 15 on both ends, so now there's, we're spread out huge, so, like, you don't got to do get-back. It's just weird. This year, like, you know, you got guys on the side that you want to yell, you know, yell and, you know run, pass, ball. Like, you can actually affect the game because that corner can hear you when you yell, ball, they know, you know, <laughs> and, you know, you do that when it's a full house, you know, damn well on the field. You don't sure. hear any of that, but well. this year, like, there's actually – communication back and forth i kid of look over and give you a thumbs up because he can hear every word you say
1: well i, I think it's hilarious uh because like the coaches were you know trying to like cover their mouth and yet they got like this stuff for the nfl and what people like uh the announcers are going through and the whole time i'm thinking like there's no crowd out there so they have to try to like muffle their voice and do things because you know as they know they like yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- there was always this fo- like uh urban legend and i'm sure you guys have seen this too like and i i always thought it was hilarious that the uh The teams I played for thought that the opposing team had hired somebody that could read lips. And was sitting there watching the head coach and the play callers, Andy Reid. Play uh, card. Uh, Andy Reed swore that teams hired uh, they hire lip readers and like his. And I was like, "There's no fucking way." And then, and then but I we, went but to. We've go, all
4: heard. We've all heard that before, though. so yeah. it, it has to have happened at some point because well, everybody like, Bill knows that.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and I, yeah, and then when I went and played for the Patriots, I'm like, Belichick totally has a lip reader here. Lip readers. He, he, he could probably do. He
4: could probably do it himself.
1: <laughs> well, as you, yeah. Uh, Yeah, playing for that dude, it was like he had your game or it was like he knew the game plan of the team before he went to go play. He's like, this is what these guys are going to do. And it was fucking right. You're like, oh, shit, this guy's smart. I'm sure he hires this former staff or somebody. uh, And then dumps Well, that's
3: that's the old move, right? Hire the the backup quarterback after after preseason before you're going to play him and then just dump him.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, but you got to think, too. You're also, like, I, any little tidbit. But, yeah, the, the Belichick, like, filming the walkthroughs, like, that shit totally happens.
3: I, I do, I do want, like, college football in respect to, like, how they're communicating to get the plays into the huddle because they don't – I don't know if they have any more. They don't have the, the, uh, the mic set up. So you got these two guys, different color polos, like, giving two different signals – and you don't know which one's the right signal or those cards yeah, that they we, used to have with four random yep. pictures random
1: pictures and, then and, then and the, half the time. Like, yeah and then the guys like look yeah, yeah
4: Well, half the time to you know paid him how you do it lots of those cards mean absolutely nothing whatsoever <laughs> it's just a distraction that gives gives the opposing team one more thing they have to try to like figure out and break down and spend time on when I mean, they could be spending time on other stuff but you're holding those pictures up and they're oh, what what does that mean you know and like it's good. You know, and, like, and and the receivers run in the so,
1: play-in. So they tell the receiver he runs it oh, in high, and they put the cards up. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I remember in college they used to do the same thing because they were ta- they were knocking off hand signals. So then they just started, like, doing hand signals and then sending the play-in with the receiver. And the guys are over there doing the stupid shit. Well, I mean, it's good. An intern coach gets a job. Hey, hold this up. It means nothing. Dude, uh, that was Hurts' job uh, oh. when he was at the Chiefs, man. He called the defensive plays. And like, I'm not kidding you. He took that shit way more seriously than he took being a strength coach, <laughs> like on fucking game day. Like he's over there. And I remember being like, heard, I would never want to be in a foxhole with you. And then that's uh, when, as soon as you said that, man, I just started laughing inside. Cause I have heard that expression so many times like, Oh, you want to be in a foxhole with this guy. I don't want to be in a foxhole with you. Mm-hmm. You know?
4: <laughs> no, I mean, like, we do a while too. I mean, we have color boards, we have number board, we have multiple singlers. like and it's just, and it's, it's just what it's become, you know. Because yeah. you know team, teams want to go up tempo, where maybe you can't have a wide receiver run it in, so it's got to be one hundred percent signed in, you know. Mm-hmm. So just one more thing to watch, one more thing to learn, you know. And uh, and and everybody does it. And you'll see the schools that put up those huge uh, like tarps behind the signaler because they're so worried about the people in the box seeing the signals. So I remember playing Oregon, they had, had what looked like boat sails behind their guys trying to cover up their signalers.
1: That's but great. It's just,
4: just all part of the part, part of it. the games, gamesmanship of it.
1: I think it's hilarious.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. Josh, can you talk a little bit about, like, I, you know, going back to these athletes are 18, 19, 20 years old, and I say this with a term of endearment, and I've said it before. I mean, they're idiots. We were idiots. But, you know, like, like, at that age, you just can't ca- conceptualize a lot of the complex social dynamic going Younger on. Younger than
1: 26, man. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm 30, yeah. I'm turning 38. And you're still and, an idiot. Still an idiot. So, like, I empathize and sympathize. It's a term of endearment, really. Um... But like, where? What's the talk? Because you get you also get access to different type of like emotions and different types of personalities in the weight room, like the guards down. You know, yeah. like what are these kids thinking of this whole crazy social climate? Like, are they worried about the future? Are they worried about the COVID? Are they worried about like the politics? I mean, wh- what's the buzz? I,
4: I you know, honestly, it's kind of it's kind of all over the board. It really is. You have some guys who are very dialed into all that and want to do what they can do to make a difference. And some, you know, and and some guys that are, uh, you know, maybe even as far as being oblivious to it, you know, you know, we had a a deal earlier uh, once the team came back out of quarantine that, you know, forced us to have some some conversations as a program and and whatnot. And, you know, we were talking to a circle of guys and, you know, know, trying to have some open discourse about it. And we had one of our guys in the circle and like kind of, you could tell like something was on his mind and like, like, All right, man. what do you think, man? How do you feel? He's like, coach, I just want to fucking work out today. You know, and so you have some guys like they're focused on right now because some of those guys won because they they're they're focused on right now because they know the best way they can they can enact change is to maximize their opportunity they have right now. Because no matter how big their platform is as a college athlete, well, that's pennies on the dollar to what their platform could be as an NFL athlete you know and so you have some guys that are very motivated they know they can help their community and help their family by maximizing what they have here you know and kind of what we've done as a program is we've tried to find ways to to affect our own backyard you know I mean thinking that you can change the world and change things nationally is awesome but at the end of the day it's got to start right here and you know so that started with us getting the entire team registered to vote because you know you can you can you know, say whatever you want about politics in the snap, but if you're not actively part of the process and voting, then you've taken yourself out of the game, so to speak. So, so that was that was one of the things we did as a, as a program. Um, we've identified a, a local elementary school here that's that's in a, a you know lower income neighborhood, a school that has a lot of needs, and we've done a bunch of things uh, with Riley Elementary to to help. To help that school, to help those kids have a better experience. Because if you wanna you wanna make some of these th- things better, well, it starts with the education of our youth, right? And if they can have a better experience through elementary school, middle school, into high school, well, that's gonna open up to them, open more opportunities up to them as, as they get older. So that's kind of what you know, combination between some of the the Know, leadership in our locker room in conjunction with bouncing those ideas off coaching staff of kind of some things we've decided to do here you know we had a, a all season long like we're having a book drive on game day where people can come to game day bring books all those books go to riley elementary and then another uh, another organization i think we're working with as well and so just trying to find ways to what can we do to make this better so mm-hmm. if we can make this better, that, that kid has a better experience now, he can affect people or she can affect people as, as, as they grow as well, you know? And I think that's where all this starts for for all of us, you know, for those of us as staff that have young kids, for all of our players that have young kids. If we want to make things better, let's raise those kids to be better, mm-hmm. you know? Let's, let's be good people day to day and not be assholes and be empathetic to each other and, and open up our minds to other possibilities other than our own view. But at the end of the day, if I really want to affect world longer term, it's how I raise my son you know
2: and then i guess a couple years ago before i guess as things were, we call it calmer was there like was there a desire to do some of this you know outside the weight room stuff from the staff or or like has that really ramped up recently just to try to focus the attention and build a little more character into the the young guys
4: i think it's always been a focus for some guys i think i think some coaches but especially like some players they're, they're 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 just wired that way. They're wired to help, they're wired to be involved. Whether that be an experience they had, they grew up in the Boys and Girls Club. So it's always been a, a charge of theirs to, to be involved with that, and help that. Uh, but I think, I think a lot of things going on now, I think have brought a larger focus to it and you've brought more people kind of into that fold wanting to get involved with those types of things because you, the, there's more spotlight on the need for it. You know, Whereas before maybe guys did because it it's one of their passions on the side from football. Whereas now it's not so much a passion, you actually see a real tangible need mm-hmm. for things to improve, and that draws more people into wanting to want to be involved with that stuff.
2: Yeah, for sure, that's got to, and, and that's th- kind of what we've seen. And has it helped kind of uh, solidify the culture on the team as well?
4: I think so. I think it's caused. Co- I think it's caused guys to have some conversations they wouldn't have had otherwise.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, uh, of stuff that's beyond coaching, beyond football, just more about you as a you as a man and what your character is and what your values are and, you know, some conversations that we've had from player to coach, coach to player, coach to coach, player to player, whatever that would have never, ever, ever happened otherwise. You know, and I think, you know, as hard as it's been to be in a year one this year in such a fucking weird year, that some of those things, even though they were uh, an obstacle at the time, there's been some real, real heavy silver linings to that. Because I think even though our kids haven't been with our staff for very long, you know, I mean, it's been since basically January, but you know, you minus however many months of quarantine out of that, and then you come back into the the some of the situations we have since we've been here. It's allowed our staff and our kids to show their character sooner, deeper, to a greater degree than we ever could have in a normal setting in a normal year.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, do you do anything uh, unique for character building? Like I, um, is, uh, do you guys do like, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, drills or, you know, off season conditioning or, you know, winter, like what's the, like, what's the, I guess you could say like the stir that like mixes it all up and kind of with the glue that puts it all together for you.
4: Yeah. You know, I, I think, we do a lot of little things like that. Um, you know, one of the simple things is, uh, you know, we don't allow our guys to wear headphones or earrings or hoods up in the bill or hats or hoods up in the building. And it's for no other reason, because like every now and then we get, you'll get some flack about that, like, oh, you, you want kids to be kids. And it's actually not what it's about at all. You know, like we tell our guys, I wish every one of you guys had earrings, just so you had to take them out when you come in the building, because <laughs> all it does, it gives you something to think about when I'm coming to the facility, when I'm a, I'm a young man, when I, I'm showing up and like, oh, man, pull my hat off, take, take, my, take my headphones off. It's just one little thing you have to think about. And for us, it's like a, it's just a little mental checkup. I know when a guy's in the building, all that stuff's off, he's thinking about us. I know that if a guy comes in, he's got his hood on, his headphones on. Like I got reminded to take him off. He's still thinking about himself, and it's, it's getting guys to understand you're part of something bigger than just you. And we don't punish guys for that or anything else. It's just a little reminder. Hey, oh shit, pull your ears out, you know. But it's, it's it's something to think about. So it's just it's just a little checkup. Really easy things like are are you are you about team right now, or are you about me right now? And then just in things we do, you know, for us, accountability is everything. Our guys are held accountable to everything. We're involved in academics. We're involved in doing all the little things right, you know. And so just the, just the fact of being held accountable for everything is, is, a, is a huge character builder for guys. And especially, I don't care if you're the best player on our roster, or if you're the roster spot number 125 and you're a walk-on who will never see the field, like the level of accountability is the same for every guy. If a guy's, you know, punished for something, that punishment's the same, whether you're the All-American or whether you're a kid that's lucky to be here, you know, because we're all in this together. It's all the same. Uh, winter program, you know, we do we do, we do, do mat Drills. And uh, what's, what, what's kind of cool about that here is, you know, I think, I think a lot of people probably, you know, once again, you know, urban legend, like mat Drills started at Florida State, you know, and people have all seen those videos of, you know, Mickey Andrews and Bobby Bowden back in the day in the basketball gym here with all these guys that are in the Hall of Fame now. Doing mat drills. Well, when Todd Graham was at I think he did this was still at Allen High School, maybe, uh, came down here during the spring, uh, visited for a week, watched the mat drills, took intensive notes on it, took that back with him, trying to look you know find a way to get you know for those kids to be tougher and this and that. And it may have happened when he at Rice. It was one of those two stops, but took that back and basically just here we go. This is what Florida State did for mat drills. This is what we do for mat drills. Uh, we call it tour of duty. And so he had done that, you know, at Rice, at Tulsa, at Pitt, at Arizona State. You know, when we left Arizona State, we took that with us to Memphis. Still very, very much structured exactly the same as it always been. Well, now full circle. Now here we are at Florida State, and basically brought back that original version of mat drills that this place has had. You know, was was born here, so to speak. And now that's something we get to do here. And I remember this winter out there, you know, getting ready. You know, I'm out on the mat. Rolling guys, this and that, and I look over and stand on the side. Over there is Mickey Andrews watching. I'm like, oh shit, that's a little bit of pressure, right? I mean, that, that this that this this belongs to that guy. Like, better do this shit right, you know? And so, putting those guys in that natural situation, like you know, the the roles and this and that. What's it have to do with football specifically? Nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. No. And, other uh, than other than. And other than then, will you go hard will you finish will yeah. you re- compete will you listen to instructions those things but as then, far as uh, movement wise
1: if you can get fucked with too i mean that was my favorite part about it they would always pick one dude to pick on him uh and be like oh you didn't do it bad you know back group you don't know, go and oh man like uh, i can't imagine a college football program that doesn't do some form of winter conditioning materials
3: josh can you walk us through yeah. some oh, fuck, examples I you guys don't know what it is some examples of some movements for our listeners
1: or, or do, okay. you, do you want to explain so, mat drills? Just yeah, yeah. why don't we start at the top with whatever. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. You know. to, to explain, explain the mat. Now, so we, we,
4: like I said, we do it, you know, everybody has their own, everybody says they do mat drills. Everybody has their own version of mat drills and whatever. The, the way we do them, we actually use regular, you know, wrestling wrestling mat. And so we'll go four guys up at a time. Uh, you know, first group steps up, snaps down to ready. The group right behind them is kind of in a, in, a, in, a, in a loaded two-point ready. Then after that, it's just lines behind them. Um, all on command. First group drops down, all fours, buzzing their feet. Um, they'll know the play before they come to the mat. So maybe, maybe the play is, uh, you know, uh, two-point seat roll, hit your chest, get off the mat. So they'll know the play coming up. We'll give them that. We'll give them that instruction one time. So they got to do what? They got to pay attention, process that information, be able to execute that information. In most cases, especially these guys get tired, if I'm good and then that guy is blown, I better communicate that information to him because I know damn well he didn't hear it. And if he does wrong, I'm, I'm lumped right in with it. So that first group's up, all fours buzzing their feet. Boom, whistle blows. They'll do a four. They'll like sprint scramble, kind of like a fast bear crawl out onto the mat. Forward roll. If it's a two-point seat roll, bam, they're up on two feet, buzzing their feet. You know, be being the coach on the mat. Now I'm waving. Bam, roll, roll, roll. However many that may be. Might be three. Might be 12 if I don't like you, right? Boom, whistle. Chest hit the mat. Guys sprint off the nice mat. Sprint. There's a coach behind the mat catching them. Guys buzzing their feet. Buzzing their feet. You know, they're at the ready. You know, near foot shimmy coming in. And then he'll send them. They'll sprint around the outside of the mat, finishing back through the front of the mat. You know, and as that's going, another group's been on, another group's been on, another group's been on. And if there's anything, you know, deficient in the rep, then boom, that group's coming right back up, right to the front of the line. So your best situation is to have a really shitty line in front of you as a player because you know the more they can sit back, the more you're going to rest. Or go um, first.
1: Uh, my deal was I was yes. in the first group and we fucking knew like if anybody does it, we're going to get yeah. you later. So you go on the first yep. group Any dude that hangs in the back is who they fuck with. And the, the best part about it is the intensity and the coaches fucking screaming and the whistles and the blowing. Like it, it's, uh, it's chaos. It's chaos. It's fucking awesome. I, I, uh, I was kind it's of, I was like the strange dude in the off season and was like looking for The only thing I didn't like was the Indian runs we had to do, but uh, I love the Matt Jones. I thought it was hilarious.
4: Yeah. The magic, magic is one of my, like, I, I genuinely have fun the day we get to do those. And, and for us too, like, you know, once again, what's got to with football or, or pick it on a guy, you know, so much of what we do in our program is, is teaching guys how to respond. Right. Okay, you got sent back. Are you the guy that puts your hands up and says it's bullshit? Or fuck, all right, a call's a call. I mean, it's not even a game. Flags get flags get thrown that shouldn't be thrown. It is what it is, you know? And for us, does a guy get remote? Does he get an emotional response? Does he, What is, how do you blow up? How do you respond to any given situation you put in? And Matt Drills is an opportunity to bring that up a lot. You know, you can run all the gassers and shit you want. There's always so much coaching that goes on when you're doing that, though. You know what I mean? In Matt Jones, there's a hell of a lot of coaching going on. It's opportunity for their position coaches to be involved, the head coach is out there. So what's that do as a player? Well, that level of anxiety goes way up too because now you're not just with the strength staff. I don't control playing time, right? But now the head coach is out there, your position coach, your coordinator. Now you're like, oh, shit, if I, if I don't do this right, I'm going to do this, they're going to know that I – you know is my playing time attached to this? Is my spot on depth chart attached to this? So now that level of anxiety is higher, which I love because that's something we can't always recreate just as a strength staff. That's something that only comes out in that setting, you know, oh, that's great. and that's been a big part of what we've, of what we've done. And it's, it's, it is, it's a, it's a good tool. It's got nothing to do with football, but it's
1: got everything to do with football. No, that's but, good. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, man. Uh, well, what do you guys do for your conditioning test or in, uh, in, in yeah, years previous? We don't,
4: we don't, we don't do a conditioning test. Um, the the way the way i look at that is if i do a condition (laughs) if i do a if i do a conditioning test and they fail i should fucking resign i've been training them all year so i could have a test and just train them to pass that test right to me the conditioning test is what like for me as a player we didn't have a summer program so you knew shit i better be working the summer because i go back there's a damn test i gotta pass well now i have the guys mandatory all year round yeah. Yeah. Like they they live they live a conditioning test, you know, so that's why we've gotten away from any kind of formal tests, so to speak.
1: Man, because I always loved are, it.
4: are they've been they've been plugged into the program.
1: I fucking loved it. Well I do uh, I do. You, just because I like to run dudes into the ground. Like we uh one of my favorite tests was um we used to run sixteen and a half casters at the Eagles, but in college we had the two three hundred yard shuttles. Oh my god, dude. Like you had to make six fifty. Did turns. you do uh,
4: did you make the uh did you do it where they you won the first one? with like a one minute turnaround, run the second one, and then you were only allowed to lose like so much time from yeah. the first to second.
1: Yeah, so so we, a common, yeah. we had uh like you ran the first one, you had to make it under a time. And I forgot like no, mm-hmm. I, I think we had to run the first one under a time. We had three minutes rest. And then you had to make the second one like I think it was like at the same time or within ten percent, I think of it, like if if I remember correctly. Um, I just remember making that six turn and you're running and it's like you're running in quicksand because your legs are so fucking trashed and you somehow make it through and just seeing dudes not fucking make it. I love that. I fucking loved watching people fail conditioning tests and I love doing it. Like I, I showed up for it and if we didn't have a conditioning test, I'd be like, oh, really? How come? I want to watch people fail and get fucking shit on. So.
4: And you got guys, that then that would lose sleep for three nights beforehand, knowing they had a condition test uh, coming. Because they, they knew damn well they weren't ready. Oh,
1: you know? I, I, I just love. Uh, I think the um, this is crazy. I still have fucking nightmares, like dreams. I wake up in the middle of the night that uh, I'm like, I'm not ready to go. Like i am not dressed up. Like you know, we're going out. I just heard the fucking coach scream. You know, ten minutes offensive line, you're out the front door, and I'm not. Rest- and I'm not. And I'm not dressed. And I retired in two thousand nine. So it's been like 11, 12 years and I still have these same fucking nightmares. i wake up and, you know, I like. I, Where's my stuff? I just love, I, dude, I loved the pressure and the anxiety and like just the stress of it, of like everything. Like it, it just, dude, it, uh, yeah, I loved it. It was great.
4: Yeah. And, and, that, and, that, and that's one thing that separates guys that are successful in successfulness, the guys that don't make it. The guys that thrive on the stress and, and the, the adversity that the training and the game itself puts on you are guys that make it and guys that crumble into that regardless of talent are the guys that don't make it, you know? And, and, and you see, you see, you see guys that separate out like that all the time, you know, all the talent in the world, but you see every time they're good, they're in an adverse situation, they can't handle it. They can't yeah. respond to it the right way. Well, that sure shit's going to show up on game day too. And it always does. You know what I mean? A tiger's going to show its stripes. You how,
1: know? how do you build that? I mean, is, um, I mean, is, is it something where it's just inherent within yeah. you? It's something you do, or do you think that they're like, I, I've always believed that, um, you know, uh, a lot of people believe that like athleticism is kind of like the hand of God. It touches you. Some people are athletic and others aren't. I I believe athleticism 100% can be trained. Um, And I built Power Athlete on this idea that you can foster and develop athleticism if you understand the pieces. Do you think that you can develop, foster, and like nurture that uh, like love of stress and that ability to be like, uh, you know, the calmest moment is in the middle of the fray?
4: Yeah, I, I I think I think it's both to be honest. Kind of like the athleticism thing is, you know. I think some guys are, whether it be you're born with it or whether it's formed in you at a young age and you just handle that well. Some guys some guys are that, you know. And some guys show up and they're very they're very much not that. But I think over repeated exposure to it, just like training, you know what I mean? Maybe early on in the guy's career, just being able to knowing he has to be someplace on time stresses a kid out and he has trouble with it. But after he's been exposed to that enough, then that's not a big deal anymore, okay? All the way up to a coach getting on him and challenging him and, and hard coaching, you know, gets to the point where now he can handle that a little bit better, you know? And I don't think you make it toward, like, it's always going to be equal playing field. But I think even if you're not a guy that's not, you know, mentally tough or, you know, inherently that way, I still think you can improve upon that quality, just like athleticism. You know, not not every, you know. You can make anybody not everybody can be using Bolt, but you can make everybody faster. You can maximize what they're capable of physically. I think you can do the same thing mentally, as long as as long as the athlete also wants that. You know, if they don't also want that, then you're probably not going to develop that. Whereas at least with athleticism, if they just show up and do the training, you're still going to push them that way. You know, no matter what, just by the you know inherent nature of the work. Whereas the mental thing of a kid, if he can acknowledge it and know that like. That's a weak point of mine. I, I, I go on my shell when coach gets on me. Okay. Well, man, if that guy knows that, well shit, then you're so far ahead of the game as far as, okay, we can work on making that better. You know, it's when you have guys that don't realize they're like that, that don't see that quality themselves because they haven't had that, you know, look in the mirror moment, so to speak. And that's where that's, that's a longer process, but I do think you can improve on it over time. You know, you can't make every kid a hundred percent, you know, Tough ass, but you, you, everybody can improve. Everybody can improve in that area if they're a guy that needs it.
3: And that's an important, this is something that Ref Ruiz calls out. The difference between a good coach and a great coach is a coach that trains the response and that emotional quotient increasing that capability or capacity, whatever you want to call it, but have the opportunity to debrief, interject, coach, turn things into a teachable moment. And I love this mat drill because it's, that increased stress, but it's still not the level of game day, and you have the opportunity to teach them how to respond, and they get another opportunity, they get another crack, which they probably won't in game day. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. They will in practice, hopefully, if they respond well, they'll get another opportunity to, to fail and correct, But that's and that's something they don't teach you in any college exposure to this whole strength and conditioning field, and I hope more coaches like you, Josh, can hand down that ability to increase the emotional capacity of the athletes, especially with some of the stories we see, hear about kids today.
1: With, um, it's pretty interesting. I, re- I remember becoming self-aware as a player. Like, uh, it's funny. Like When you come in, you kind of th- take this attitude like, why is this happening to me? where you kind of view it external. And then all of a sudden you kind of get this like moment of clarity where you come through and you're like, why am I reacting to it this way? What am I doing? That's bringing these on me. And I remember that happened to Matt drills. I think he was my, I think my freshman year of college where of course they were young guys. Like, why are they picking on us? Cause we're the fucking young guys. Like that's our job to get picked on. And I remember being like, why are they picking on us? And then I realized I'm like, uh, and I think it was my second year. Like had this realization that like, well, it's good that they're picking on us because that means that they think that we're, you know, can help it and move along. But you kind of becoming self-aware and like, okay, what am I doing that's driving this? Uh, The way that they're viewing me is based upon not just some like random thing they pulled out of the sky. Obviously, like this is a reflection of what I'm doing and you kind of gain that self-awareness. And as soon as you kind of do that, like, and I remember my offensive line coach, Tom Cable, you say it was like a a switch gets flipped. And he, and I, I never knew what the fuck he was talking about. Until later on where I was like, oh, you go from like, how are things affecting me to how am I projecting and affecting these things? And like the minute that you develop that self-awareness as a player and as a you know, athlete, all of a sudden you go into it and you're fucking, it's 180 degrees. And then now all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, this is how they're viewing me because this is what I'm doing. Well, if I do this, they're going to view me differently. And then all of a sudden, everything starts to fucking fall into place.
3: Yeah, start to worry when the coach stops riding your ass. One hundred (laughs) percent.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it. it Like, I just remember the coaches. Like the 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 most hilarious part about coaches is seeing. seeing how much they would yell and scream and how out of shape they were to do this stuff because they would be fucking dying worse than we were. They would, coaches <laughs> would just be sweating, voices going, you know, they're in there icing their knees, you know, and I'm always like, man, these dudes are fucking going at it. And I loved it because, I mean, they were putting in as much as we were giving them. So it was great. I loved it.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, those young guys, like you said, like you go from thinking everything's against you, and these coaches are against you, and you don't realize they're for you the entire time like them them pushing you that way is what puts you in a situation to grow a situation to be better it's just like putting more weight on the bar yeah. you know and it's, it's in that we try to expose our guys to as much that as possible even just through the way the winter program structure you know the first couple of weeks we don't do tour duty we don't do mad drills yet it's just, it's them working with just us because initially that's probably plenty of stress coming back okay well now drills start drills builds until what until spring ball because spring is another level above what drills is you know, and then we transition on spring ball into summer and the process kind of starts over again, leading into camp. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's like stress inoculation over time,
1: man. It's, uh, it's funny to hear how unoriginal strength coaches are in college. Cause we did mat drills. <laughs> and then the other one was the Nebraska circuits. So like, <laughs> which was, oh, the, I know, told that.
4: Yeah, the metabolic circuit like yeah. the ten. Yeah, yeah. Dude. Nope. So,
1: so what's hilarious is um, uh, I had always heard the rumor that uh, Bobby Bowden and those guys started the mat drills. Like some some guy they had mm-hmm. was an ex-military, like or uh, was a marine. And I like like you'd always heard the folklore of like where it came from. Uh, I, I'd also heard it came from Miami. You know, the year that they got off in. Uh, remember all in fatigues. Remember the national championship with uh, Jimmy Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, from so, the U. Doc. Yeah, yeah. So so that one there. There was always mat drills, and then the Nebraska circuits the metabolic conditioning circuits and like those are fucking staples and like they've got to be 30 plus years old I mean dude I was in college in 94 through 98 and uh, we did that stuff so I mean this stuff's been happening forever Mm -hmm. so it's pretty cool to know that like As much as people try to hack the system and all the information that comes through, there's just some inherent stuff about like the suck and team building and you know shared suffering and you know seeing this guy break and who you know steps up as leaders that you almost have to put these kids in a crucible to get them ready. Yeah, which has always been what was so nervous on this 2020 because like that was like every team I played for, every team I played with, like that crucible you have to kind of go through it to have a successful season. And I'm like, what did, what's, yeah. what's this going to look like without having that opportunity to like, you know, fucking set these kids on fire a little bit.
4: Yeah, and it's tough. And you can tell. I mean, you can tell there's, there's traits you'll see on some days. You're like, God, it's because we didn't get a chance to get that ironed out already. You know, kind of my goal, my goal, usually in the wintertime, but especially the summertime, is I want to put those guys in situations in training to expose as many character flaws as we possibly have. Because then we can work through then we know they exist. So now we can address them, whether it be leadership or approach or mindset or response for those things. The more of those things I can get ironed out before we put a helmet on and start playing ball, the more successful our summer program's been, okay? Because it's way it's, it's way beyond bigger, faster, stronger, all that stuff. That's that's, that's barrier of entry. It's, it's, it's what are we going to do beyond that, you know? And this year, it wasn't the opportunity to do that. Because even when guys came back and we had our quote unquote summer program, man, this was like our G-rated summer program you know, because guys are coming back from doing lots of work, doing too much work, doing no work, you know, and it was so in chunks coming back and so, you know, retro working back to where you started that we didn't get to do a lot of the things we would typically do. You know, we spent the most time i probably ever spent doing just base level conditioning, you know, and that, that stuff sucks. It's boring to coach and you don't learn a lot from it as far as the character of your team goes. And there's things that you, you see, they're like, if we would have had a real year, we could have, we would have already been on top of this, you know? And so hopefully that's what we'll get going to this next year is we'll get the actual real year. We hope
2: anything pop. If out, not, we'll
4: continue to adjust.
2: Has anything popped out to you? Um, that wouldn't otherwise, I guess going back to the silver lining, like new things in the program that you had to adapt or adjust because of, um, the COVID or the lockdown or anything like that. And you're like, well, this is going to be part of the program from here on out.
4: Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what I, one of the biggest things I talked about earlier is, is doing those split groups initially. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't do it for as long of a period of time as we did it this year, but I did think there was some real, real value <clears throat> into that. I know as a player it sucks, to have to come back a second time to the facility, you know, get dressed again, get warmed up again, train again, but just the quality and the density of work you pack into that block of time versus bleeding it out over two hours, I think is valuable. And that's something I'd probably continue to do, you know, for the first, <clears throat> you know, week to maybe even two weeks, you know maybe even especially to in regards to like our newcomers stepping on campus you know in the summertime as those high school guys get here of that being a valuable tool for for those guys and then some of the stuff we didn't get was just you know the, the the overall workload and some of our more you know metabolic conditioning type stuff that we'd normally get to that we didn't get to do very much of this year
1: because
4: mm-hmm. we did so much early on base level stuff to try to catch back up to make sure we're trying to get those guys' bodies in a in state that was ready to train. Uh, you know, what helped us was with some of the rules they changed to be able to do like the the walkthroughs and the skills and drill sessions and stuff like that leading into camp. You know, that's something, I, to be honest, I wish we could hold on to that piece of this forever because I don't, and you, can, you can run as much as you want, however you want, train as much as you want, however you want. Training's training, football's football. And being able to do those walkthroughs, which were – pretty high velocity and then doing the actual skills and drill sessions, which was basically looked like your indie and stuff like that. Like now we're getting a little closer to football. We're actually how revolutionary we're using football to get ready to play
1: football. Uh-huh. You know, and that's something we, yeah. that's something you
4: really have never been able to do in the past to that graded degree. And like, there's some was that because benefit
1: of the NCAA? to do that. Well, was that just yes. the time requirements of the NCAA in the off season? Like the, I mean, they've almost gone like, true draconian on this side like I, when i was looking at the ncaa rules not too long ago like i was like how the fuck are these kids even going to learn to play football like a coach can't be anywhere near it uh they limit assistance yeah. because before you would hire like you know let's say you had 10 assistants and you had five legitimate ones and you had five guys like me where you're like hey john you want to be a strength coach and come teach these fuckers how to play offensive line what the nick saban rule dude uh but but like that's kind of like how how it always kind of worked uh and now they're in a situation yeah, all coaches in the weight room yeah I mean, dude, it, it, like it, that to me is probably the smartest thing you could do is bring in dudes that are like strength coaches that also can work with the position stuff and be like, hey, man, let's go work your hands. Here's let's our do warm up. This. Yeah. Hey, you're going to learn to throw some med balls and how to punch and slide and move your feet. And yeah, uh,
3: GPP conditioning station work. Mm-hmm. Each one's a position coach.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's saving got in trouble. Dude, that, I mean, but that is like it, it's pretty interesting. Like, like I, as you know, we used to always joke that we're like, you guys are students athletes, you know, like, right. you know, yes. it, but like at the, you know, and the NCAA has gone so far. Uh, but at the end of the day, like there definitely is a better product with more time and more exposure, you know? Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, I'm just not well, a I, huge I look, fan. Of I the, look
4: at it like this. I mean, what's the, what's the biggest thing NCAA always talks about? Oh, player safety, player safety. Yeah. How is a player safety? They can't use their sport to get ready to play their sport. Yeah. And then you expect them to stay healthy and injury free in those no. things, That's dude. Not we're seeing it
1: in the NFL. You know? I mean, the, dude, look at all the, <laughs> the, the the week two injuries. And I've always said it, man. When you guys are moved pads and all the hitting out of training camp, you're going to see all those injuries because dudes are going to be too fresh, too ready, and they fucking don't bend their knees because they haven't figured out pad height in uh, you know, with four or five padded practices.
4: Yeah, yep. And with us being able to walk through stuff like that
1: now, like for in training,
4: now I'm less worried about like skill acquisition because they're getting six hours of the week with their coaches. They're actually doing their skill, not some modified thing in the weight room that's trying to marry those two things. They're actually out there putting their hands on guys and doing it. So now I'm not trying to find a way to mimic that. Now I'm just training guys. Now we've, you know, with that, we became much more general in our preparation in here, uh, which in some ways is really good because you put more time in the, in the meat potatoes of, of development when I'm not so worried about trying to marry the football into it as much because I knew they're already getting their fill of that. And that was a that was a huge thing for us, you know. And yeah, the whole student athlete thing was tough, you know, because I mean, I don't know, I look, I look at it like this, like those guys like you, know, you spend, you know, three, four, five years in a college football program and the time that takes and everything else, like that's like a degree program in and of itself.
3: Yeah.
4: Because if you look at it like this, like say I go to school to be an English major, but I never actually am an English teacher and I don't do anything with that. That just happens to be my degree. No one ever holds it against me. It's no big deal, right? These guys that come play football, how many guys go on after being a college athlete, and not just in football, but other sports, to get a a career in football? You know what I mean? Like as 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 a student athlete, my whole career has been in football based partially upon what I learned as an undergrad student athlete. Whereas like in a lot of ways for myself and a lot of guys, football is almost your degree program. Because that's the things you're learning that you are probably apply to your life, whether you up being a high school coach, a strength coach, if you end up on the, the operation side of it or whatever, like a lot of guys that play football in the college level ends up doing that, whether that because it's what you're passionate about, it's what you know, some guys don't know what else to do, but your degree program as an undergrad is essentially football.
1: Man, you just had to I, go be a poli side major on the side. Well, no, I, I, I always, um, you know, we had to be done. I think our last class had to be by, like, I want to say end by one because we had to be, you know, like uh, our first meeting, I think was at, like, one 2 o'clock. So I usually try to get everything done by, like, 12, and, uh, you know, like all of a sudden, like when you're looking at the classes, we couldn't take classes in the afternoon. So like pretty much you couldn't do any labs. So like, uh, you know, the nutrition stuff I wanted to do all the, the labs to do the major were gone. Like you kind of go through and you're like, OK, what major can I do that starts at 8 a.m. and gets done by 1230? <laughs> And, like, uh, you know, and so, like, there were things that guys legitimately that I wanted to do that we Uh, weren't able to. rhetoric, I
2: guess. I don't know. What's that? Well, I was good
1: at reading and (laughs) writing. I'm I'm kidding. Yeah, no. (laughs) It's pretty funny. I just saw something the other day that there was, like, you know, people need to start practicing modern rhetoric. And I was like, I've fucking been ahead of the curve, you assholes. there's There's also
3: the threat of fall with fall sports. Your summer is training. And then the summer is the greatest opportunity for internships and to realize, oh, I don't want to
1: do this job. Well, they used to have internships at Florida State where you just went and turned on knobs, but the knobs didn't go to anywhere. And then they used to get paid like $1,000 a day. They got any more of those jobs? Not that I know
4: it would be a (laughs) job,
1: though. Dude, uh, uh, so uh, I played with a bunch of dudes that played at Florida State. And there was a super killer uh, alumni network of current NFL players that used to like – go back to Florida State and take care of like the players that were coming up that potentially would go to the NFL so like Corey Simon had like a Land Rover in college and I'm like how'd you get that he's like oh you know so-and-so paid for it and I was like how did that work he's like well he kind of gave us money and then the deal was when we came to the NFL we took care of the next deal and I was like man that's fucking Florida State so like I've always wanted to go to a game and uh, and always see it so like man I'm I, you know haven 't played with a bunch of guys in Florida State man they definitely spoke about it in terms of like alumni and like the the culture in terms of winning as being pretty high end
2: and at Cal, who hooked you up with that uh, two hundred horse yamaha two stroke that you were rolling on What, <laughs> what was the little motorbike you <laughs> rode on? Uh, dude
1: I had a uh, 1978 Honda seven hundred and fifty super sport at my <laughs> South nice. African neighbors sold me for three hundred dollars. Some guys got all the and, luck. Uh, It was it was. Do you want know ver- a
2: land road? That's all that all that maintenance. Uh, you don't dude, need that.
1: I uh, I I rode, and the crazy part is, I rode it for like three years, and I sold it for three hundred bucks. And
2: best, <laughs> uh, <free>. best vehicle <laughs> investment
1: ever. Yeah.
4: Was it the the single cam or the dual cam?
1: Uh, it was the four cam. It was the four cam, okay, yeah. And I, I those just said, are, those those scream though, dude. It, it's it, a fun bike. It had super traps on it, and dude, that thing would fucking roll out. And I remember my neighbor had it, yeah. and uh, he actually had a, um, uh, God, what did he had? He had a bitch in an old BSA, and he was just kind of like he was okay. like a South African dude in his like twenties, and mm-hmm. had gone to like came at like twenty two to college, so he was older, had money, and he had like a shed full of these crappy motorcycles, <laughs> and uh, he was like, I'll sell you that one for three hundred dollars, and dude. It was, um, yeah, no. It, I still laugh at to this day. That thing was so fucking fast. I had no business yeah. on that.
4: Yeah, even like just 750. Those things are absolutely rip.
1: Yeah, I mean, and now it's hilarious because I'll like kind of like um, uh, I'll look for them occasionally on Facebook. Just and they'll, they'll pop up on like Facebook Marketplace, and dudes want like five, seven, ten grand for them now. Now they're all bitching like Cafe Cruisers, and they've done all this stuff, and mm-hmm. I'm like. Man, I sold a really nice all original bike for $300. $300? $300. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> been a good little investment. Oh, shit. I should have kept it. Damn it. That's what happens when you have toys like that.
4: You get rid of them because they'll they value them. Then you always look like, back, damn, I wish I still had that. Have a or, you have
1: store. Of, or, or you don't have a put place it, to put store. it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the biggest one. Especially young so what uh what do you do for uh for a hobby anything i mean do you, you get any hobbies or interests outside of fucking getting kids through? you
4: know uh used to used to used to have motorcycles and stuff and uh just when, when my son not when he was born but it's when he was like a, he got he's probably two ish also I started like kind of weighing out the i don't know the selfishness of that pursuit and, you know and i and i was lucky i never had any like major close calls never went down you know knew some people that had and whatever but then kind of started just i don't know just thinking like man if something happens to me out here like somebody else raises my kid and i was like i i get i get struck by like walking outside but i'm also i'm like I, I, i'm not gonna predispose myself to for that added risk so so i so i got out of having bikes which which i still miss the you know the the feeling and sensation of riding, you can't replace that with
1: anything Well, you were also else, you in know? Arizona, which is an incredible place to ride. I mean, there's like yes. 300 days a year where it's perfect riding weather and like it's big open roads. I mean, it's like, dude, I I look around like uh, where I lived in LA and some of these other places and I'm like, man, I can't believe I used to ride a motorcycle around here. But Arizona, every time I go out there, I'm like, man, this would be a bitching place to have a motorcycle.
4: Oh, It's incredible because I mean, you get such a... Uh, uh, contrasting landscape from the desert up into the mountains and i mean everything else it's it, it, and that's probably part of the reason why I mean, we just go out and just ride to ride there's no destination in mind just go you know and uh and that, that was awesome and so i had went through quite a few bikes and some projects and things like that And then uh when i sold my, when i sold my last bike at a 91 a, a fxr that we built up hmm, nice. and that's right when that one which that used to be the the ugly Harley nobody wanted, and now it's cult following. Dude, the fastest Harley ever sky high.
1: The fastest Harley I ever rid was a um, was an FXR. The guy had a 113 SNS that had like a six angle valve job on it, and um, dude, that bike uh, like was 100 plus miles an hour in second third gear. It yeah. was a buddy ride's bike. And, Holy shit! Yep, yeah,
4: mine. Mine had a had an s in it also. Um, and yeah, that thing, the bike screamed. It felt like a damn surgical scalpel going down the road. And even oh, with yeah? a big guy on it, that thing would absolutely fly. And uh, but when I got rid of that one, uh, I was like, I, I kind of wanted to get. I wanted to get a Jeep. I had a lot of buddies there. You know, same thing in you know Arizona, making use of that landscape. And I was like, yeah, that'll be my next thing. And so I had that money in my pocket. All of about six hours before I went and bought a, a eighty one CJ five. Nice. And, uh, I had the the picture. The pictures on Craigslist were awful, but the, everything else i seemed to have been trashed. I'm like, ah, eh, I'll just go look at it. The guy rolled out of the garage, and whoever done the majority of the restoration on it had done an awesome job. So I got lucky that they took really shitty pictures of it. So, so what, uh,
1: was it a straight six, or is, or has it got that AMC three three sixty? No, it's got a, it's actually got a a, a, a Ford a Ford a V8 in it. Oh, nice. What like a three hundred two? Yeah.
4: Yes. Yep. Yeah, nice. 302, uh, four speed transmission stuff in it. Um, and it's, it, you know, that it was pretty clean. It was, re, it's restored enough to be really nice, but not so nice that you don't want to use it. So nice. I've done a few things to that. So I've had that now for uh, four or five years nice. since, since I got, since I got rid of the bikes. So, Dude, uh,
1: it, in high school, my brother had uh, a 78, uh, CJ5 Golden Eagle. And then my brother Eddie had an 81, awesome. uh, CJ5. So yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. what I learned to drive an 81 CJ5.
4: Nice. No, that's fun. I like it. Like the, uh, you know, it's not very, it, it's, it's a project to get in and out of, but like the seats like bolted in, set back a little further. So there's a little more space and stuff in it. It's, it's a little more, a uh, little more user-friendly for, 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 a, for a driver and stuff. But yeah, like, I like that. And then, you know, being down here in Florida now, I can, I can drive that a lot. Other than the fact that it's bright orange and that's not a very well accepted color around town. <laughs> I so I might, I might, I might have to address that.
1: Uh, Well, just go throw a wrap on it. And then if you ever uh, go somewhere else, you just peel it off, you know, just peel it. Yeah.
4: Yep. Yep. So, but no, so I got, got that. And we're still in Tennessee. There's just no, there's no, there's no public lands there anywhere. So there was not a, not a whole lot of place to take that. And then down here, like we're, we're surrounded by public land. So there's lots lots of places to get that out.
1: Uh, Texas is the same way. I think 3% of Texas is public land. And, uh, yeah, um, that's,
4: that's, that's, that's a lot of land,
1: dude. It's, it, <laughs> it's insane. How much like a, I mean, but that was kind of the lure for people to move here to Texas, like get land, but in California, like there's so much public land and, um, you know, going off-roading, going to big bear and Yosemite and all these places that it's pretty interesting here. They have some, uh, like off road parks, but they're owned by people. And then you got to go pay 20 yeah. bucks to go wheel yeah. their to wheel their land, which is blows, still blows my mind. Yeah.
4: Well, it's, it's crazy. We drive across west texas and you can drive for hours and not get an am radio station i think that that's <laughs> none of that none of that is public land it's just yeah. it's all owned you know yeah, it's
1: all got fences I, grew up, on it. I grew
4: up yeah i grew i grew up in uh, uh, rapid city south dakota right in the black hills there and uh it's, it's it's all public land it's all 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 forest land. so like you know hundreds and hundreds of miles of fire roads in the hills and just grew up with that being the the norm you know, and then same thing in Arizona, like it's it's all public land. And then you go to a place where there's no public land, you're like, wait a minute, I can't just go do whatever I want to go do, you know? So it's cool being down here again where you can get out and do more of that stuff. So
1: nice.
4: as my son keeps getting older, there's more and more stuff he can get into as well.
1: Oh yeah, no, there's a lot of fishing down in Florida, especially in Tallahassee in that area. There's a lot of like, uh, you know, not only, I mean, you can drive to the water, but I mean just all that swamp stuff is pretty cool.
4: Yeah, there's tons. Of, I mean, we've a lot of uh, you know, lakes and rivers close here, but like I can be... From my driveway I can be on the golf in like 30 minutes. So it's pretty, it's, it's close, really close. Just having been able to get out to enjoy as much, just trying to get this off the ground and then yeah. add a couple months of quarantine in there and stuff. So,
1: Have a, but it's good,
4: at least, at least some stuff to do down the
1: road. Uh, like, I mean, I, I realize you guys, lifeblood is high school football. I mean, that's what kind of, you know, I mean, guys come in, come out, but you guys got to constantly be fighting in the recruiting battle. Um, do you get much in the recruiting fight or, or is that mainly just the position coaches or do you really get in that?
4: Yeah. You know, for, for, for me, it's most of the time it's on campus stuff. You know, when kids are on campus, we're always going to have a chance to, you know, you know, we'll take them to the facility a little bit and stuff, but for most it's talking kind of, kind of about, you know, what, what we can offer them and kind of philosophically what our deal's about and kind of feeling the kids out a little bit, um, just what their character's like. We think they're gonna be a fit in the program. Uh, now over the course of quarantine though it was it was like zoom meetings with kids and going through the you know powerpoint presentation and to be honest that was awful because you just every day man, now here 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 try to squeeze a workout in between got another zoom meeting tonight you know you're recruiting a kid on the west coast like hey coach can you talk to this kid at nine o'clock tonight I'm like that's that's my bedtime <laughs> you <laughs> know two hours. but uh, <laughs> You know, so it it was a lot of that. Um and then you know, occasionally it might be a deal where you know you you have a kid or a parent who has a real interest in training or maybe that's what they that's what they do, you know. And so then those those conversations are a little more fun because that's a little more talking and shop and, and all that as opposed to just here's the facility, here's the staff, this is what we do, you know, and that's all important stuff too, but it's kind of fun when you catch one where you get a kid that like, this is what I want to do when you know when I when I grow up, you know.
3: Yeah, when I did an internship at UT years back when Benny Wiley was the head, and he'd get the call, hey, we got a, we got a recruit coming. So he's like, all right. So then you just see him freaking hit the, hit the curl rack, put on a sweet, <laughs> tight Under Armour shirt, and just put on a, a freaking gun show for a kid to, to as an appeal and show off for
1: the guy. Yeah, I always think if the strength coach is more jacked than the players, I probably wouldn't go there. What, 18? I don't, I don't think they know any difference. Yeah, no, but... No, I remember I, I went on. Yeah, uh, we'll do.
3: Yeah. Oh, I was just saying, when
4: we have guys on campus, like an official visit, um, you know, because the way recruitment's change with kids come on campus for camps and junior days, and you, you might get a kid, by the time he comes for his official, he's already been on campus five times, you know, maybe more. And uh, that, that visit's so important. So what do you do? That, that's the most boring visit. He's desensitized to everything. Nothing's new and shiny anymore. He can damn near give my talk for me, you know. <laughs> so what we'll do for that official visit, you know, because – you know important to me all my staff trains you know and that shouldn't be a rare thing but it's somewhat of a rare thing you know and so we'll do kind of what we do is when those kids come up for the official like we'll have a little bit of talk but then we'll, we'll, we'll show them it in action you know so like we'll we'll demo some stuff and you know it's a little bit of a little bit of excitement turn the turn the turn the stereo up and like we'll almost coach each other as if it's a group you know, kind of let them see like what the environment's like, what being coached looks like. And then I got some big, strong dudes in my staff. So it's a little bit of, I'm not gonna lie, it's a little bit of uh, feats of strength as well too. So, you know, most, most high school kids are impressed when they come in and coach DJ, rips off a set of 10 at 405 for them real quick. And, you know, it's just let them see it a little bit. Let them see the guys that are telling them to do that shit. They also do it too. And just it gives them something different on that last impression, you know. And we're fortunate we got guys on our staff that we can, we can put on a pretty good show with
2: that. Nice. Yeah, it's got to be good.
3: I, I got one last question for you, Josh. So you, you said your son's 18 years old. Do you no, he's seven. seven. Seven, excuse me. Uh, yeah. I was thinking seven. I don't know why I said 18 because we just said 18. But anyway, seven, do you have a athleticism, athletic career track that you're going to push him towards certain sorts like spin, swimming, gymnastics, anything like that?
4: I, honestly, like, I'm not gonna. I'm going to push absolutely nothing on him. As long as he's doing something, but I'm not gonna push anything. I'm gonna try to expose him to as much stuff as I can expose him to. You know, he's played, you know, a couple seasons of soccer when we were in Memphis. He's done. There's a uh, church league basketball he did when we were there. Uh, he just started flag football here a couple weeks ago, and, and loves all that stuff. Super actively involved in it. But like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push any of that stuff because the the way I view it, like, he's gonna grow up around it anyway. So he's probably like right now, I mean, the kid eats, lives, breathes football. He's the only kid that at four years old would wake up in the morning and not turn on kids shows on TV. I'd come downstairs and he'd be watching old Super Bowl replays, you know, and like that's just he's always been that way. And so I'm not going to push it. I'm going to let him I'm let him pursue it when he there's times like he wants help with stuff or like, you know, whatever playing catch. He always wants to do that. But like, you know, he wants help running or like I'll help him with that stuff. But like I'm not going he's going to have a lot of coaches in his life. I'm not going to be one of them. I'm, I'm going to try to stay dad. And when he wants dad's help or something, dad will help. But I'm definitely not going to be dad slash coach, you know, but you know, whatever he wants to do, as long as he's doing something, I'll be, I'm I'm. I'm happy with that.
2: So is there anything you are going to push? I mean, not like I understand the delineation of like the sport side of things, but what about school or work? Like what are some rigid rules that are in the storm household?
4: You know, so I mean, we give him. I mean, he's got you know his his little list of chores that he has to do every week. You know, simple stuff in the house. Um, you know, we always stay stay active. I mean, that's I, I guess if I as I say, I'm going to push one thing. Like I'm going to push physical activity. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, even even with like video games, like he doesn't have like a a new video game system. Uh, he found a Wii that we had Nintendo Wii we had like ten years ago. And so like he'll play that you know, somewhat, but like, we'll keep that stuff really limited. Keep the amount of time he spends on TV or iPad pretty limited. Um, he stays active, lucky. Like he started reading really young. He likes to read. So like we just keep pushing those things, but there's, there's a balance. I mean, you can't shut your kid off to all the technology stuff because it's, it's, it's going to be part of their life. I mean, they use that iPad in school. They use it for, a lot of things so like that's gotta be it's gotta be a balance between that stuff but as long as he's he's active and he's being a little boy and playing and getting bruises and scrapes and stuff like that then, then we're good
1: awesome yeah, no, um, thank God my kids haven't asked for any video games because I know what would happen. They would get them, and then I would be fucking whooping their asses. Oh, bullshit. I would, I would totally, I, I don't know, whatever it is, I'd get it and be like, I want to play. Um, dude, we're getting into three-way rotation. Bro, you have no clue. I When I was in video
2: games, granted, this is like 15 years ago. You'd be on the internet. You'd be playing some six-year-old in, in Europe or Australia on like Xbox Live, and they would smoke you, dude. And well, I yeah, was.
1: but here's the thing: if I got it for them, and we all started at the same time, I think that I could cover ground faster than them. I'm getting you guys text. Let's pull our money and Fuck get the you. kids. Don't do, games. Don't do it.
2: Don't do it. No, it would it would uh, just be in the
1: office. <laughs> tomorrow is my daughter's. I, I got twin twin oh, girls. Uh, that's their birthday. Uh, that's right. they, Holy they shit! They turn nine tomorrow, which fucking blows my okay. mind. You know, I'll give them a PlayStation. Uh, uh, Fuck P.S. P.S. Five. Uh, they <laughs> they asked uh, since they're, for, they're originally from California. They feel that they should learn to skateboard. Ah, so cool. so I, I'm getting them skateboards. But we live out in the fucking country. Like there's nowhere to really skateboard. So now I'm like, man, I'm going to have to gravel road. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to have to drive them to a neighborhood. But I also found that there's a skate park in in uh, Lakeway.
2: Well, well, you also can get like the off road skateboards that are like battery powered. Uh, look into that. Like, like, into those like the, 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 the
1: one wheel and then the, yeah. there's also the, the, that U wheel, wheel thing
2: that was over across yeah. did those dudes yeah, across no, from
1: they also wanted like a thousand dollars for that
2: thing. no no there's got to be a knockoff now
1: dude <laughs> I because you remember we we uh, that guy showed up and we rode him and uh, I was like God these things are bitching like how much, and they were, I was like a thousand dollars like fuck I I mean I've spent a thousand dollars on some useless shit but this is really fucking useless
2: oh yeah I like, I would be more prone for to our spending guys money.
4: that's how they get around campus. A locker room full of scooters and one wheels. That's like their primary mode of transportation.
2: I think we need some one wheels. <sighs> where for? Where? <laughs> to I
3: don't where? Know. So there's like a one wheel. I don't walking gang. across the office. <laughs> no, hold on. I'm picturing just this one, this gang of one wheelers just rolling all around campus.
2: Yeah. Like, so, like so most like of my guys, they live oh.
4: <laughs> all, all surfing. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> most of our guys, live, no, most of our guys live across the street. Um, there's a, a Champions apartment complex over there, right? It used to be Burt Reynolds Hall. Now this is the new one that's behind that. And uh, so they, uh, there's like a tunnel that goes under Stadium Drive that dumps you out over here at the facility. So like those guys, pretty much their world is from Champions to to Doak and then campus. So that's all you need is a scooter or something like that. So like on game day, you know, you know guys go to the hotels for the like home game. We'll lock up 25 or 30 scooters in the locker room. Or I mean, in the in the in the weight room on game day. So you guys mean like uh,
1: like little like uh, like motor scooters or like uh, razors? Like like the battery powered razors. Oh yeah, like wow! The,
2: like the birds. So oh yeah 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 they, yeah yeah. Those like, yeah,
1: like bird oh, scooters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. I, I, I was imagining these dudes doing sweet tricks on razors, but no, that's <laughs> that'd be awesome.
2: <laughs> those were the days.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Cool. No. So that's 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 their primary mode. Man. Which, now, Injuries I to a, that too. now I want to go to a Florida State game. Fucking we're gonna have to figure Next something year. out. Mm-hmm. Dude, I wanna go. I uh I always wanted to go. Come, doors are open. Oh dude, I will yeah, I will gladly go, man. They uh it was funny. I remember one of our assistant uh one of our uh he ended up be uh, one of our assistant uh trainers, Chris Paduzzi, played at Virginia Tech and he was a freshman on the kickoff team. Uh, and they were playing down at Florida State on season opener. And he got fucking... Dude, basically peeled and fucking smashed him like five yards on the Florida State sideline. Oh, and wow. I got to see the video of it because uh, Eugene Chung, who who played it at uh, Batek, called and got the video sent over. And it shows <laughs> Paduzi getting fucking launched <laughs> on the side. <laughs> and there's like... 50 Florida State dudes oh, <laughs> dancing over him during the chop and they can't find him because the dudes wouldn't move and he couldn't get off the ground. His, he's like looking out of his ear hole because his helmet got spun. He's laying on the sideline and the fucking like 50 dudes are doing like the like fucking dancing over him like chopping him. <laughs> And, and they had to, like, go over and fucking, like, basically Stop. carried him off the side. Oh, yeah, stopped they stopped the everything. Yeah. <laughs> so Eugene Chung tells us the story. And I'm like, no way. He calls and he gets the video. That's the Ooh. best part We must have watched it a thousand times. Oh, man. And then every time we saw him, we would, like, kind of, like, if he was turned around, we'd, like, go, <laughs> like, dance behind him and chop. Oh, dude. So like that's my uh, that's my like my memory of Florida State is like don't get hit on the sideline you're gonna get fucking hoo rode especially eight yards deep in oh there. dude he got and he's like freshman you know like kickoff cover looking out of his ear hole as these dudes are just dancing over him oh I fucking love it that's good ball club culture you have to bring dude. that back too oh dude I can't wait that's good yeah. ball club culture yeah no that's great
2: kids having fun man uh, kids play
1: uh, you know what I I always appreciate like um. It's it's kind of strange playing the NFL. Uh, college football looks really slow to me, but like what I really appreciate is just like the like the camaraderie, and more importantly, like like the the history and the and like the mascots and the fans and like the way the students interact, Dude, It's fucking awesome. So no, you're a killer program for that.
4: Yeah, all the all the other all the pageantry that goes along with it and just and the difference of teammates, like, you know, guys come here and like, they essentially they grow up together. You know, mm-hmm. they live together. Like when you leave here, like your whole life is attached to those guys in the locker room. And that's that, that makes that, that makes it different. You know, guys are going home to their wife. They're not, you know, it's, it's yeah. just a different deal.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey Josh, thanks for the time, man. Yeah. I thank you. We we're hitting that tipping point. Oh, I
4: appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on that. It's awesome.
2: Yeah. Awesome discussion. And oh, yeah, we are already, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah almost man. two hours. We'll, we'll reach out. We'll reconnect. And thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in strength and conditioning. Thank you. zero. There he is. But uh, thanks, Josh. And then everybody, until next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Follow Coach Josh Storms on Instagram at Coach Storms. But like he said, keep your phones out of the weight room. Until next time. Bye!